under Ooh. normal circumstances before COVID, it's about 10, 15% of our sales. All right. And our business model is not built for 50% delivery. Yeah. Our rental mm. has still been the same. The amount of people that we need is still the same. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All our fixed costs are still the same. So that becomes a very painful reality for us. And of course, November, December, uh, the cost of goods has been increasing In tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Last time, once a month, our suppliers will always email us. Here's one page, a one pager of 10, 20 items that has a slight increase in price, maybe two, three percent. In November, we were receiving memos every week. Of the changes. Of the changes. Ooh. And one of the memos, the craziest one was, expect the prices in the next few months to go up between two, uh, 20% to 200%. We're like, what, what the Wait, What was the 200% item? Did uh, you, we, didn't, we don't use it. It's not part of uh, okay, okay. Our, our menu. But um, yeah, we, that was the memo. It said, expect there to be such a hike. And in fact, even to uh, till yesterday, when I was talking to chicken suppliers, our chicken supplier, things are not going to get better anytime soon. In fact, Gosh. Um, I, I, I told you guys just now, there are reports of uh, even the KFC downs, downstairs in Atria here. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Where yeah. they had no chicken to sell. They ran out of chicken. Huh? KFC you know that, ran John? out of chicken. <laughs> oh my gosh. And Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www.firl.co slash f r e e or www.firo.co slash free welcome 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 back to the firo podcast best place for long-term stock investors but today we're going to talk about different kind of stock and uh sorry not different kind of stock <laughs> we're going to different industry but very very dear to malaysians especially in the past 10 years now i believe mm -hmm. yeah right? we're a 10 years smart we have uh the co-founder of burger lab very usually our our guests right have very long cvs this one very short but it's not any worse <laughs> right it's the co-founder one of the co-founders of burger lab mr renny welcome to the pod hey glad to be here mj um you know i i'll i'll share why uh you know you know, Burger Lab story is so dear to, to, to myself because I see so many similarities for my, my family's uh, history as well. But um, enough, let's not start with my history. Let's start with yours, right? Okay. I, I, I want to learn about the pre-Burger Lab days, right? Okay. What, what, what was your relationship like with food, number one? And, and also business, right? Do you have an inclination for business? Was that always in the pipeline? Um, okay, let's talk about on the personal side. Yep. I think... I started realizing that food has this amazing uh, ability to change people's um, happiness almost uh, instantaneously uh, uh. when I started working uh, part-time during my uni days. Um, so I started working in Starbucks. That was my first F&B experience. Uh, and then after that, uh, while I was in uni, I went on this uh, work and travel program to the States where I was working as a server uh, in, in a uh, restaurant based in Yellowstone National Park. Ah, okay. Uh, that was my first experience of what good service means in terms of converting it into dollars and cents. 
because uh, obviously in the states they have this uh, tipping system. Correct, right? correct. And base level you get ten percent. If you do better the service you give, you can go up to even thirty, fifty percent. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, I didn't do it for the money. I I genuinely wanted to serve people, uh, and that was when I realized, hey, look, um, the way the Americans did it was the happier they were, they will tip more. Uh, but mm. my derivation was that wait a minute, I found so much happiness and so much joy in making their night be um, a, a, a night worth remembering, right? So even back in the days when I was working in Starbucks back here in Malaysia, uh, when I make a good cup of coffee, um, you know, the customers are, are usually quite elated. And I was one of the first few, I dare say, first few baristas that did latte art back in the days. This is like Ooh. 15 years ago, Ooh. right? Ooh. Ooh. Okay. And, okay. and, you know, um, Starbucks didn't even allow for latte art. And I always get reprimanded for it. Like, this is not really? how we do it. So you pour the espresso into the milk and then the dollop of foam on top, that's it. You know, don't do any fancy art. But I, I learned about latte art, you know, through internet and whatnot. And I started serving to some of my regulars and pretty girls as well. And Especially. Uh, yeah. Especially pretty girls. Like a nice little double heart, right? Uh, but that was when I realized, hey, look, my occupation uh, as a server, as a barista, as a waiter, uh, had the power to instantaneously make someone happy. And if I have to correlate this to uh, back when I was younger, and you know how when you're younger, you have to write karangan of oh, yeah. who do I want to grow up to be, right? right and everyone right, will be right. like, I want an astronaut, I want to be a scientist, doctor, and so forth. Um, I wrote those karangan, all lies. Uh, the, the, the true occupation that I wanted uh, to grow up to be was to be a clown, actually. No um, way. Yeah, well, not a murderous clown, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a clown that was, you know, um, you know, making balloon art and, and that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, Pigeons. I, yeah. And, and I, like I didn't know why at the time. I just, I, want, I knew I wanted to be a clown. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I realized was that as a kid, uh, my easiest understanding of how to bring people happiness was in the form of uh, a clown. Right. But of course, as I grew up, I understand that, you know, different industries, different services that we provide to That's other right. people, we do bring joy to each other uh, in, in, in our daily lives. Uh, but, Fundamentally for me, food um, was something that I, I related to very well and I could see its power. Like we're all Malaysians, we all, all love to eat, right? When you have yeah. a bad day, what do you do? Let's go and eat something. Yeah, let's go binge, right? Yeah, just binge. Yeah. <laughs> very unhealthy uh, yeah. lifestyle, but we, we do that, right? Yeah, we go eat right. our favorite food, we make ourselves happy for a while, forget about the, the problems we have. And I say, look, this is an industry that I, I think I can, I can do well in. And that's how I ended up in uh, FMB. Right. right. Uh, I just want to say, I just want to say that I, I go to Burger Lab whether I'm in a good or a bad mood. No, 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 for sure. Yeah. For sure, for sure, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, prior to Burger Lab, uh, after I graduated with uh, a degree in mechanical engineering, ah. uh, I started a t-shirt company that's, uh, that focuses on Ultimate Frisbee jerseys only. I play oh, Ultimate Frisbee. Okay. I used to. Uh, I mean, I, I used to play it competitively, now more casually. Mm -hmm. uh, but the point is that that was my first foray into uh, running a business. I see. I uh, made decent money here and there, um, but it was not my true passion. I basically stole design from somebody else and then stick it on a t-shirt and then sold it to, to the people here. But hold on, before that, uh, like how, how, how did you go from, you know, I want to be a clown and then now I'm an engineer? Oh, well. Very different, right? The clown part was, like I said, when you're seven, Young, eight years yeah. old, right? You don't yeah. really think about it. Uh, but throughout my years growing up, uh, whether in high school um, or in college, I've always been groomed towards, um, hey, you're good at math, do physics, do, ah, you know. Okay, okay. So I, I lead, I, 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 I say lean towards the direction of engineering. Right. Uh, not knowing whether it was something that made me happy, but it was something that my parents wanted me to do. I felt comfortable doing it. I leaned towards that. 
Uh, but thankfully, like I said, I had the experience of being able to travel overseas and being able to see what appreciation for our line of work is like. Mm -hmm. uh, that made me commit to the idea that, hey, you know what, maybe F&B is not so that bad. Because I've been growing up in Malaysia where I'm be, I've been told, you do hospitality, you go into F&B when you can't do science, you can't do business. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, unfortunate. it's like the art stream treatment. Right? Exactly. It's, yeah. it's very stereotypical. I don't think it's the right mindset to have. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, you earn so much money, you want to go out and eat good food. You, you expect people to serve you to have some level of professionalism too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah If you think course. that so lowly of them and you still want good service, you still want good food, that doesn't add up. Correct. Right? This should be fair treatment on both sides. Anyway, um, so yeah, after I graduated, uh, I, I, I had the t-shirt company thing because I played Frisbee. And then after that, uh, I also saw opportunity of uh, starting a Groupon-like company. So oh. when I was in the States, I saw Groupon, Groupon um, kind of boomed and i said hey, in malaysia there's no such business there. and i enjoyed using groupon at the time when i was in the states and uh, i started this uh i guess copycat concept uh with my friends however we weren't the only one with this idea the moment we launched seven other platforms launched back Ooh. in the days there was groups more i think the more popular one there was daily deals this is different platforms that came out and we underestimated the market we thought we could slowly grow this we put in like i think six thousand ringgit just to start the business when, you know, left, right, center, everyone was offering free iPhones, free iPads, Ooh. right? Just to get the, <clears throat> the subscribers yeah. to come in, right? To use their deals. So immediately within three months, that business shut down. Ooh. Yeah, we were like, yeah, we, we, we got outplayed. <laughs> uh, but it was a very humbling experience. Uh, and then um, for my third try, uh, I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do, do in life. Do I want to go back? Do I want to go into engineering? Yeah. Right? That's what I studied for, right? Uh, I thought, let's give it one last shot. Um, I, I believe that there is a market for burgers because we've seen, uh, again, taking inspiration from the West, uh, in and out and Shake Shack doing so yes. well. And we said, look, in Malaysia, what do we have? We have our Ramli, we have our fast food from McDonald's to uh, Carl's Jr. And then we have our uh, TJF or Chili's. And then after that is fine dining style correct, burgers. Gourmet burgers. Gourmet right? burgers. We said, there's no in-between. Can we do gourmet, but price it in the fast food range? And this is back in the days, right? Um, so yeah, that's exactly what we, we ventured yeah. into. And I think we were lucky that, <clears throat> excuse me, we were lucky that um, our buns, we decided to turn it into a charcoal color. Oh yeah, I remember that. Trend, and that yeah. was, I think the move that kind of got us spotted. And thankfully the, rep the recipes were, were decent and right. people haven't had that, that, that um, style of burgers before. And that's how we blew up. And uh, yeah, and as they say, the rest is history. Yeah, and I think so, <clears throat> uh, before, I'll, <clears throat> before I allow John to ask his questions before we move on, I, I just want to share why, you know, it's dear to my heart because you use the exact word, right? Affordable gourmet burgers, essentially, is what you're doing. Because for my family background, uh, <clears throat> my aunties and uncles, they used to work at this uh, cake house. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Angel Cake House. Yes, very popular. Bang the day. Now, now they're basically not, not quite around. Mm -hmm. And so they were the first one that brought in like Black Forest uh, and tiramisu. Today, tiramisu is like nothing. Right? Right, yeah. now, now we have to put it in our coffee to make it nicer <laughs> or something, you know. But uh, yeah, so they, they, they actually did that and brought all this in the 80s, I think, into the wider public. So that's why I say it's dear to my heart because this is exactly what Burger Lab did for burgers. I appreciate that comparison. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And thank you for that. So, uh, yeah, John, any questions before we, 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 we move on? 
probably just peeling back a little bit about that uh, service-based industry in the U.S. versus that of Malaysia. You know, I mean, I mean, uh, we're a country of very friendly people, but then in terms of standards of service and everything, I think there is still, I would say, room for improvement. And and I, I guess probably I will ask this further along the line when we talk about your business, but. Uh, is there something that uh, you feel there are certain traits that is easily um, uh, assimilated or emulated in the Asian culture as compared to the food service industry in the US actually? Um, I think that we are a generally very shy group of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. We do want to be nice to people. We do want to, to give good service, at least in our industry. And that's what I see a lot of uh, new joiners in our industry look like. They, they, they know to do they know what mm. to say but they don't dare do it they don't dare say mm. it uh, mm. so there needs to be a little bit of aging on uh, when it comes to that uh, mm. where else in the western country uh, if you let's say you enter a lift or you walk past someone in the park good day how are you doing yeah right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. and I mean it's, it's a casual uh, and it, most of the time I learned the hard way that they don't care about what your reply is yeah actually <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but here in Malaysia if you walk into a lift right for example if you see your neighbor most of the time, people stay silent. And then yeah, they ask, right. is that right. weird? Like, yeah. what do you want from yeah. me? Right? But I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm kind of <clears throat> stuck in between. Uh, I, I just experienced this recently. I went right, to my right, elevator right. Uh, and someone said hi to me. And immediately I was like, oh, hi, good morning yeah. to you too. Right? And he was surprised mm. that someone actually replied. I, I bet he does it all the time. Uh, <laughs> when I first moved into that apartment, I tried doing that. And I didn't get any response back. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm the weirdo now. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep quiet from now on. <laughs> right, right. Totally get it. Totally get it. Yeah, so yeah, I think it's the yeah. nature of the people yeah. where we're not uh, usually uh, used to people or strangers talking to us immediately. So even if you go in a cafe, uh, especially if you see there's a new group of staff, they usually won't mm. be the first to initiate conversation. But those that have been around, um, you know, they are usually more comfortable, but it takes training. It takes yeah, it does, it does. getting comfortable to that. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. it's quite yeah. interesting in, in Malaysia, you have, uh, we, we either have, they don't say anything or they're like shouting across <laughs> like, uh, hey, Mr. Chan. How are you? Yeah. yeah, right, right. It's a, it's a whole spectrum, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, So I, I want to understand a little bit about the early days. So this is 2012, right? Yes. I still remember. I can remember the date, it's 2012, uh, the year, because that's when I first got into college. So I always remember because there's this new hit place that everybody has to go and I remember the the sea park branch is always packed five o'clock is really you know packed really yeah and uh what was the early early days like because you know i can imagine starting uh not just a business but such a quite a new idea at that, at that point in time and also in an industry that is so competitive right in, in malaysia they only you only have your menu can be like 20 items long and if a Malaysian comes in and he tries two items and it's not nice he say the whole thing is not nice right that's yep. how that's how picky we are so what were the early days like? I think I have to accredit our success in the early days to pure dumb luck. Huh. Um, if you think about it, uh, one of the advice that we were given before we opened the restaurant even <clears> was <throat> that, hey, look, if you're going to spend 200K uh, opening this restaurant from the build to the renovation to the equipments and whatnot, you need another 200K in your bank at least Whoa. To, okay. to, to have a runway because mm. no business is going to start off being successful. And you need a potential of three months, six months, or even one year to even start getting, to start even breaking even, right? And that was the reality that we were given. But given the naivete that we, state of mind that we were in, we were like, 200K, we just need to put another 50K so we can run. 
Okay. And that was that was it, right? Yeah. So we, we among ourselves and some uh, friends that was uh, involved in the process at that point, we we uh, raised two hundred fifty k. We spent almost hundred uh, almost two hundred k on the build of the restaurant, and we made a lot of mistakes doing it. Um, and you know, we we kind of just fingers crossed and and hope for the best. Uh, and prior to our launch, the most burger we have ever cooked in the night during our testing was twenty five burgers. Whoa! Right. And we were naive enough to say um, that uh, back in the days, you remember, we only opened at five o'clock and yeah. then we saw at eight o'clock. Yeah, correct, correct, correct. Right. Yeah, that's why five o'clock, the line is so yeah, bad, right? right. Uh, now, when, before we started, right, we were saying, okay, we got to open all day, right? We are renting this place. It has to be open all day. Yeah, yeah. But we were like, okay, first week we chill a bit. Like, we do at night first. In the morning, we, we, we bake the buns, we grind the meat, we pack the meat, all those things. We prepare the sauces, right? So that was the idea. And we say, uh, one night we sell 100 Burgers, okay, lah, you know, then slowly we increase. But because we did something uh, called um, a, a lean startup model prior to this, and we popped out at different location, uh, at, a, at a location um, to just test out the concept, people were already talking about us, right? This black charcoal burger place. And we took a three months break to build uh, our new location in Sea Park. And, but that three months didn't deter people from following us and, and, and trying to keep up to date of when we are opening. Uh, we underestimated that. So when we opened, we were already packed on the first day. We prepared a hundred burgers, uh. hoping to sell 50. And the next day we can roll over and we chill a bit on the preparation. Nah. But first night, so out. Oh, Second yeah. night, so out. And we're like, say law. <laughs> not enough burgers. <laughs> right? Right? Not enough burgers, right? And we, we, which business open at five o'clock and sell at 7.30? Right. So we knew there was something wrong and we were like, okay, we got to we gotta really kick ourselves uh, into high gear and, and start uh, addressing that problem because we, we said, um, at the time we didn't have any other business model that we could uh, replicate reference, or reference yeah. to, right? Um, of going viral. I think nowadays it's quite common like, and you can see what mistakes are made and what to do, what not to do. So back then we were just trying to, to figure things out one day at a time. Uh, so in fact, we tried to push ourselves so hard. Uh, and I just now before the show, I talked to you about um, when you grind meat, it generates heat, it generates friction, right. and That's your right. meat actually cooks while it's being grounded. We learned that lesson the hard way on the fourth or fifth day. Mm. We said, okay, every night 100 burgers, we sell out within 7.30. We tell people it close at 10 o'clock, but we sell at 7.30. How can, right? Um, and we said, let's do the double amount. Let's just buy more beef, grind it, make more, we hustle. Lah. Then what happened was a very humiliating and humbling experience. The beef that day tasted different. It was cooking in the pad, in the in the grinder. It was warming up. It was getting mushy. I didn't know. All we knew was we just want to grind all the meat, pack it into patties, and then cook it. But the moment I smashed the patty, I realized that wait, the texture is off. Something's off. So I I I cook. I, I taste one myself and go like, man, this tastes bad. Ooh, this tastes bad because once it's heated up. Of course, it doesn't get frozen immediately because we were grinding so much, right? It was left out in room temperature. Within that one hour of it sitting out, it has gone bad. I didn't know that. So while we were serving our 10th of 11 burger, I tasted it because I, I sensed that there was something wrong. And I pulled a Gordon Ramsay. Ooh. So I used to watch Kitchen Nightmares a lot. So Same. I don't have culinary training. I don't have kitchen training, but I watched a lot of Kitchen Nightmares. And I know that, you know, if uh, Gordon Ramsay was there, he's going to shut down the kitchen. And that's what I say. Say, guys, it's 5.15 right now, right? I'm shutting down the kitchen. Tell every customer we're not serving today. So, so for reference, right? Because I know you have, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you have other partners as well. Yes. 
So you were manning the kitchen, am I right? Oh, me and Chang Ming were manning the kitchen okay, at that point. Okay. And then we get was manning the front of house. Okay. Yeah. So they were like, hey, cannot man, just serve all today. La. And then tomorrow we 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 you know we rectify the mistake. Um but I was like, oh, cannot, cannot. I, I don't think this is safe to to serve. So I put a Gordon Ramsay. It was at that point in time for us, I think almost a thousand plus ringgit in in uh costs that we had to burn. We said, look, if we accept this, if we accept selling this batch, then we're gonna we're gonna set the benchmark at this level. The branding, yeah, yeah. And I cannot put the <clears throat> I cannot put myself through the thought of potentially people getting stomach ache or, or, or having food poisoning, you know, from our food. Um, so I think that was the point where we told ourselves that we are food people, that we realize we are food people, that we we don't. Um, we, there's a benchmark that we cannot go below. Uh, and yeah, the team was shocked, right? Uh, we sat down, we talked about what went wrong. We all tasted the beef after that. We were like, yeah, thankfully we didn't serve this. But in, in the moment of pressure, yeah, like, yeah, of course. there's a thousand ringgit worth of food here mm. that I'm going to throw away. I'm choosing to throw away. And I'm going to be rejecting almost a hundred customers that day, right? So I think that was when um, we kind of saw ourselves as, you know what, we, we, we believe in standard, we believe in quality. Right. Because we passed that test. Because I've seen mm. businesses where they are faced with those challenges. And every FMB at some point in their journey will For face sure. a challenge. For sure. And it's whether they pass the test of you can can in Chinese it's called the chi meaning you can mm. pass that test of yourself. And you go like, you know what? So for Nila, you know, I'll deal with it tomorrow. And, and do you think do you think you're lucky that you got that test on day five or day six, right? Oh yeah, so, hell yeah. Hell yeah. I think the more mistakes we made earlier on, the more it served us better. Because yeah. every day we were improving. We yeah. sat down for two hours after shift every night to yeah. talk about every little improvement that we can make. And that's what made wow. us um, my burger lab, right? It was a spirit of experimentation. It was the spirit of, of getting things right. Everything had to have a scientific reasoning behind it or a logical reasoning okay. behind it for us to move forward. Mm. Yeah. So I like, I like yeah. to be more, and I know John has a few questions, but I just have follow up to that event. So what do you do with the first 10 to 11 burgers that you already served? And then what was it like telling all the clients, you know, the hundreds of them that you just say, yeah, guys, sorry, something happened. We gotta, yeah. we gotta stop. Um, I think you can even search back to our Facebook. Uh, and I don't know how you're going to do it. All the way. La. All, all the way. La, all right? the way we, we made a lot of announcement during the, that period. And uh, we were actually advised some, by some uh, social media guru at that point in time mm. la, that, oh, you shouldn't do this. And we were very con non-conventional when it comes to our social media marketing on Facebook. Uh, we behaved as if we were a person. We didn't talk as if we were a business. It was always a person that you're talking to. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we had almost every week, we were very transparent about yeah. what we were doing, what problems we were facing. Even to this day, I believe in the last two years, we have been very vocal about a lot of the challenges we're facing. Yes, yes. Not just as Burger Lab, but as an FMB representative. And right? you're calling out some of the uh, um, some of the government, right? If I'm not mistaken, there was one- Different, event. yeah. For Whether it's the government SOP, whether it is with our <coughs> delivery partners, whether it is just the situation of things. Uh, because Burger Lab commands a certain amount of audience. Yeah. And we realized that not everyone dares to use their platform as a form, as a, as a place to 
to share knowledge. It's risky, right? So it is risky. Think, yeah. It is risky, but it has always been in our, in our mm. DNA. Mm -hmm. From day one, again, if you scroll back, we've been sharing openly. Whether we change tomato, we change whatever, we share with the people. Reason, we are My Burger Lab. Everyone that says My Burger Lab, they have a sense of belonging. And we want to be that transparent business. Yeah, server as well. It has also bit us in the ass before. Um, but I think that's, it's, it's never perfect, right? Uh, but that's that's the price you pay, you know, with honesty, with transparency. Yeah. If you learn, we've learned what to share, what not to share as yeah, much. Yeah. John? Yeah, actually a few questions, but I'll start off with the, the one about, I'm pretty sure there were internal debates, like what you said, that in a moment of pressure and then your partner also said, hey, just serve it and all that kind of thing. How did you command that kind of trust and everything? Because you were the guy engineering the food. I'm pretty sure some of your partners were not as, uh, how would I say, uh, did not have the eye that you, you said just now, you know, you squash, you squash the, the, the patty and then straight away you knew it was off. But then you had, I'm pretty sure there were pressures from your partner. You say, hey, it's okay. Well, it looks okay. You know, how, how did you actually, um, in a way, you know, Jeff Bezos used to say this. He says, uh, I, I, I disagree with you. But let's let's go with this first, you know. So so how 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 did you develop that? That's the first. The second one was you said that you had two hours every day after shift, and you actually documented. You know, I I believe you documented uh, a lot of these learnings. And how many times after documenting it? Because I'm pretty sure once you document, the implementation is not going to be immediate. You know, sometimes you're lucky, you get it immediate. But sometimes it takes like two, three, four times or five times before you really get the formula. So. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that, actually? All right, uh, let's answer your first question first, uh, which yeah. was, uh, how do we resolve, um, you know, partners' disagreement? Yeah. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, at that, at that point, at that especially point, in the moment of, yeah, yeah. I don't remember much about it. I knew that I was very angry at myself for allowing mm. that to have happened. Mm -hmm. And I think they could have told from my body reaction or the way I said mm. that, you know what? We're closing down the discussion. We cannot serve this. Um, mm. And they trusted me. I think I'm, I'm very mm. thankful to have trusting. Uh, was, was there like a question to say, hey, can, are you sure cannot serve? Uh? There, there were, but it wasn't mm. a, a, a fight. It wasn't a, hey, look, I, I think you, sh you should serve this, you know, and, and whatnot. It was a, hey, are you sure? Are you sure we want to throw this away? Are you sure we want to burn a thousand ringgit? So I said, guys, really, we cannot do this. Mm. And I think that was, uh, okay, we trust you. What, what next? Right. Mm, mm. And, and, and the thing is between the three of us, I've always been the most hard-headed one, I have to I say. See. Mm. So my partners have been very understanding, uh, but they know what I stand for. And I think that trust uh, in what I stand for uh, makes a whole lot of difference, at least in the early days. I see. I see. Yeah. The second part with regards to the SOP and you document, how many times normally do like, if there's a process change, there was a mistake. How many times you have to try it out or get the people to try it out before you actually get uh, 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 a process improvement? Like in the early way. days, it's almost immediate. The next day, we can mm. make those improve improvements, mm. right? Almost, mm. almost immediate because we were making fundamentals, fundamental business uh, mistakes that we could just okay. the next day go out there, buy the right equipment or buy the right tool and solve it. Ah, okay, so okay. those were fundamental mistakes. But to this date, Mm -hmm. Every single store still stays back, not for two hours, for a good 15, mm -hmm. 20 minutes, just to have a debrief. Mm. It still happens. It's still a part of our mm. tradition. Um, mm -hmm. And why that happens is because we realize that if you just close shop and go home without saying anything, mm -hmm. sometimes there are unresolved 
um, problems that yeah. is not addressed. Mm. So we always mm. air out our dirty laundry because mm. when you're running the shift, it's stressful. A lot of things yes. can go on. Sometimes, hey, I need the fries now, for example. From the guy who's hearing it, why are you shouting at me? Right? Mm. And then he carries that like anger. Right? But mm. at the end of the shift, he say, hey, look, anyone here has anything to voice out? Anyone that feels like you know, the shift didn't went well or that they were not uh, treated you know, fairly, voice it out. Right? Or rest your peace. Lah. Um, and mm. then we try to resolve those matters. Or, hey, what happened here today? A customer complained. Why was the uh, fries oversalted? What happened? Right? Mm. Uh, so mm. these are things that we discuss about and then we analyze. So we pass this baton down to the team. But of course, we are 10 years in. All the small mistakes are, are not there anymore. These are All the big mistakes are not there anymore. These are all the small uh, individual daily mistakes that the team is allowed to, to fix and tweak as we go. But mm. over the years of the last 10 years, we still do daily breakdowns of what, uh, whether there are major uh, mistakes that are made, we, we still do the analysis, we still do the, hey, look, how can we improve? In fact, in our fourth or fifth year in, there was a large group of people who left us suddenly. Ooh. It was mm. managers that, were, that left us, uh, not together, but in, in stages, because, and when we did the exit interview, this business, every month got changes. Every month change new SOP. Uh, and I, I thought about it. I was like, are we, is that a problem? Is that a problem? And I stood my ground and say, I don't think so. I know from, mm. for the, from on the ground, as the crew, as the managers, everyone have to change SOP, have to reteach and relearn. It's very frustrating. I, I mm. see their pain point. But I, as a business, I felt that it was necessary. If we don't, it, it sticks with us. It becomes a, a bigger problem down the road. So I want, I'd rather fix the problem. Now, why I felt this was good? Because COVID, when it hit, mm. it showed us that that mentality served us well mm. during a lockdown period where things were constantly changing. You needed to be agile. Already. We you were so like, agile. Yeah. And we were able to switch so quickly. That's why um, within the first two months while we were not doing well, but by the third, fourth month, we were able to break even to some extent. Mm. Right. So it's because we made changes. The government say, uh, eight o'clock have to close shop. And as in, you have to leave the shop by eight o'clock. There was one point that there was a ridiculous <laughs> SOP yeah. and your last order should be seven o'clock. And we were like, wait a minute, mm. everyone eats at seven o'clock. Right. Yeah. So yeah. You, we lost a whole bunch of sales there. Within a week, we came out with a recipe. We did breakfast instead. We had pancakes, mm. we had mm. breakfast burgers and the likes of that, right? Um, so we were able to react and, and, and whatnot because it, whoever the state after that and the new people that came after that, the first thing we told them is there's going to be a lot of changes in SOP. Expect every mm. uh, SOP change every few months. So it was a personnel mm. issue rather than a policy issue, lah, would you say that? Um, I think yes and no. I think if we change things for the sake of changing ah, uh, or, or yes, you know, without yes. hard facts and reasons and when you change, it doesn't get better but gets worse, mm -hmm. I guess the frustration is valid, right? Uh, but like I said, making them understand why we change. So it was a matter of communication. If you join us, there's going to be a lot of changes. Why? The changes are for the better. Mm. And you can be a part of that discussion of change as well. Yeah. Right? We will mm -hmm. go through you if you feel that, hey, look, okay, that makes sense. So one thing that we realized as well was that we weren't communicating as well in the early days. Mm. We would, the higher management would be discuss, discuss, discuss. And then, hey, I'm changing this tomorrow. And you go like, what the hell? 
right? Mm. Versus right now, it's like, okay, we think this is a good idea. Hey, manager, what do you think about this change? Will this, this work? You know, will this work? Or this will help you do this and this, all right? And that became a better, so we became better communicators. So mm. yeah, to answer your question, um, in the early days, uh, it, it, is, it is still something that we do every day, but over the years, mm. it, it's um, made us, you know, more agile and, and, yeah. and you know, we're able to pivot uh, depending on the challenges we face. So I have to ask, yeah. right, in terms of the SOP, like what is, what is like a typical, because you say you change SOP every month, right? So what is a typical SOP change in a month? I, I'm, I'm not referring to like the, the changes you made in COVID, obviously, because yeah. that's a drastic one. But just, you know, normal pre-COVID or even right now when, you know, COVID is kind of disappearing. Um, yeah, what does it look like actually? What is a typical SOP change? Currently, we don't have too many. Uh, the most recent one is uh, we change our beef patties, um, but that one, not a significant change. Uh, in the sense where it's still cooking a patty, it's just the, in fact, we, why we changed is because we believe that this is a easier uh, and less stressful uh, method of cooking the beef. Uh, last time, you know, the beef is par frozen and you got to smash it with your wrist. And we started having a lot of uh, staff having wrist wow. uh, injury. Um, so we decided, you know what, we're just going to make patties. We don't do smash patty anymore. Excuse me. Um, so these changes are also not just uh, in mind of serving better products. Sometimes there are changes based on, um, you know, the welfare of the team. Um, so yeah, these are some of the changes that we've made recently. Back in the days, uh, big changes. Um, I can't think of any right now. Uh, but like I said, it was in the first couple of years, the first early four or five years uh, that major changes uh, were in place. Currently, uh, it's more minor changes. And in fact, uh, for the first time since last year, uh, we started hiring more senior uh, uh, management to come in. Prior to this, Everett and Burger Lab started working, working from the ground up. Intern, yeah. Yeah, exactly. and uh, they grew. They grew to, you know, uh, middle high, or, uh, high management level. But I realized that we are, we're hitting a ceiling. We don't have enough exposure. So we're bringing new people in, new HR, new ops, uh, new marketing people coming in. And they are putting in new structures into the business. So those are changes that is happening. But what they are doing is taking what we've done so far, regrouping it, uh, rearranging it, uh, and, and giving it better structures for us to move forward with. So there are those changes that are going through within our e ecosystem at the moment. Right, right. So how, how big is the team uh, right now? Uh, on the office support level, uh, we have about 22 uh, packs. On the ground level, so including full-time interns, part-timers, um, we have about 150 mm -hmm. uh, across uh, seven stores. Right. And then on the central kitchen level, we have about 15, 20 people. And that changes from time to time. So one thing very unique, I don't know if John, you can agree when you visit Burger Lab is that, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's a guy or a girl, whatever race or, or whatever. They all, uh, one, I think the, the command of English is really good uh, for oh, the yeah. typical waiter. And the second thing is that generally they are like at worst above average when it comes to niceness in terms of the, mm. that is something I have to say as a matter of fact, right? Not Thank because you. you're yes. here. What do you attribute that to? Is it all this, you know, right at the end, you have that 15 minutes uh, screaming sessions uh, between <laughs> between your staff or, or what, you know? There's no screaming session. Okay, but okay. I mean, I wouldn't rule out the fact that, that it might happen. Uh, I think it's the character that we, we hire for. I see. Um, I mean, it's never perfect. We don't have course, a formula, but uh, we, do, we don't hire indiscriminately, meaning that we do look out for certain traits that we're looking for. Uh, but other than that, 
we hold each other accountable to the, our 10 um, values. Okay. Right. So for example, from number one, we have be welcoming and sincere. We have be, uh, we have, um, be unique and inventive, uh, be knowledgeable and humble. So that, there's 10 values that we hold true to. And from day one, we teach them. Like this morning, uh, I was actually uh, our trainer for our orientation. And everyone that joins Burger Lab, I didn't care what level you're at, you go, to a two, you go through a two and a half hour orientation. And the orientation is broken into three parts. The first part is mindset. The other part is kitchen and then uh, service. The most important one is the mindset. I say today, why we're sitting here today is so that we know we are all aligned. What are we aligned to? We're aligned to our three missions and then we're aligned to our 10 values. And why this is important? Because especially when it comes to young people, you tell them, hey, these are 10 values you need to memorize, you need to be this. They don't care. That's not the purpose, yeah. They don't care, right? But I say, look, you've, you, where do you want to work? Do you want to work in an environment where you're respected? Yes. Do you want to work in an environment where you are given the space to grow? Yes. Do you want to work in an environment where uh, you're allowed to have your opinion? Yes. These are all things you want, right? Now, for us to be, to have that trust, for us to do this, we need to know that yourself and the people around you are aligned to these values. Read out the 10 values and they go through the 10 values. And I'm like, are these good values that you want in yourself? Yes. Are these good values you want in your neighbors? Yes. Then where does it start? It starts with you. Yeah. If everyone practices 10 values and I know that my neighbors, the people around me are practicing these 10 values, naturally, we are here to take care of each other. Right. I won't go too deep in, onto our mission one, two, and three, but sure. it's built to give them trust that, hey, look, they're being taken care of. Because a lot of times workplaces hire people just to fill up roles, just to fill up the void. You're a cashier, you do cashier work. Don't think about anything else. You're um, you know, patty flipper, you flip patty and you don't do anything else. But we try to give them a more bigger purpose than that. So once they feel that at work they are taken care of, right? what do they do next? They take care of the customers. And I say and as I said, when you hire the right person with the right attitude and you give them the right nudge, right? And always putting them on both sides of the yeah, yeah. table. We always I always tell them, as a customer, what do you expect to, to be treated as? Make sure when you're on the other side of the table, you treat the customers as such. In fact, we teach them the golden rule and the silver rule. Yeah, yeah. I don't know any company that, that goes around doing that. Lah. And a lot of them haven't heard of the golden rule and the yeah, silver that's rule, true. right? Treat others as you want to be treated. Do not treat others as you don't want to be treated to be treated. I said, that's our SOP for uh, service, right? Yes, we do have a list of things that you have to do, but that means nothing. Those are tasks. That doesn't define how you give good service, right? As long as you're able to say, hey, look, I'm going to treat you as I want to be treated as a customer. And I'm not going to give you the service that I don't want to see. And immediately mm. you see the change. Do you, do you interview well, each of your staff? Oh, not me. One? The managers have the, have the power to do so. I mean, right. they, hire, they should hire for their own team. Uh, right. But uh, because I, I, I go through all the orientation, I, I, I train all the orientation, uh, at least the first half of it, um, most of the staff I would have some level of contact with, like, even if it's for that first two hours. And then they go off to yeah. the individual stores. Wow. Yeah. Uh, John? Uh, MJ, just, just, just to let you know, what Renyi is doing, certain MNCs in Malaysia don't even practice. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I kid you not. No, it's, it's a compliment and a kudos to you. Because I, I've worked in an MNC before. And uh, how I wish SMEs uh, in businesses, especially in Malaysia, practice what you do. Uh, the next question is actually more of a half a joke, half a question. When, when are you getting listed? Uh? 
<laughs> Far from that, bro. Far from that. Actually, you know, I think John raised a, a good question, funny question, but one thing I noticed as well about Burger Lab that I don't see in other uh, so-called successful food F&B chains is actually the rate of expansion. So yes. one thing I see some people who have hit the kind of success that you, or not even the kind of success that Burger Lab has had, but suddenly, they are like they are like everywhere. They are like they're growing as fast as tea life, you know. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, that's not realistic, but you you get what I mean. What do you think of like the expansion rate of Burger Lab? And mm. I I suspect I know the answer, but I want you to tell me what it is. It's definitely slow mm -hmm. uh, as compared to a lot of big players in in the in the industry. But I don't think we came here to conquer the world. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do have a b-hack that says, you know, one day we want to conquer the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But if essentially for me, um, our fundamentals in the early days were we open new stores when we have the right talent to man them. Originally, wow. Burglar was supposed to be a one-man, oh, one-store uh, mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as people grew with us and they go and we go like, hey, wait, this guy can take care of another store. We should open another store for him. Of course, you know, as the years went by, I learned that uh, the hard truth that you know, it will come to a point where um, they will find other avenues, they will have other dreams, their priorities will change, and that's fine, right? Uh, and then you need, and then it starts, like you gotta start filling the void, right? Um, so for us, up until I think 2018, it was organic growth. We can afford a store, open a store. We got the talent, open the store, right? Mm. 2019 was when we wanted to be more aggressive. We had a whole plan of up until 2025, we were going to expand. We we're going to go overseas potentially because we do get a lot of requests. I want to open in Australia. I want to open in Taiwan. I want to open, you know, in Thailand. Uh, so we have all these requests constantly. Uh, and I've never, <laughs> I guess in my whole life, I've, I've uh, had to reject so much money. Excuse me. And the reason is because I knew we weren't ready yet. So we were starting Ooh. to build a team to be ready for that. And of course, 2020 happened. Mm. Uh, so we are back at square one. Um, and currently, we are doing more firefighting than, you know, really putting our eyes uh, in the horizon to say, hey, look, we're going to build another 10, 20, 30 stores uh, down the road. At least not so soon. However, uh, that being said, I do have a central kitchen that, was, that we have committed to last year, middle of last year, uh, that is supposed to support up to 20 burger labs. So right now, I'm in a bit of a dilemma because while at that point in time, just before, I think just before MCO3, in fact, or whatever it was called at that point in time, uh, we were very hopeful. Because we, we always carried that hope from 2019. And mm. when 2020 ended, we were like, 2021 is the year, we got to go for yeah, it. Yeah. Right? Then yeah. we saw 2021 started and we were like, oh, holy shit, this is, <laughs> this is not the year either. <laughs> you know, abort, abort, abort. Yeah. Uh, and then through, halfway through the mid-year, we were like, okay, everyone's getting vaccinated. Everything looks good. Right? Let's, let's, let's commit to that. And we, we found a, the right lot. We found the right people to go and do it. Let's, let's commit to it. Let's, let's build the CK that we wanted. Let's build the halal CK that we wanted. Paid uh, whatever deposit that's needed. And then MCO3 hit. And here's the thing. MCO3 hit. And MCO3 ended close to September. Uh, when I say ended in the F&B terms, means that we could start serving dine-in. I think uh, the last two years, you, you heard a lot of F&B people making a lot of rah-rah noises saying that, oh, we need dine-in, you know, we can't, we can't sustain ourselves, it's all delivery only. And that, that is truth. However, it doesn't spell the same for all industries post-dine-in. Uh, 
Mm. My business suffered from it because the last two years, people were so brainwashed to do takeaway that mm -hmm. when ah. dining opened up, they still chose takeaway. Where else certain I brands see. like sushi, barbecue, steamboats, they were thriving and good on them because they were suffering during the, the first two years anyway. I see, uh, I But see. we didn't thrive. So that was number one. Uh, our percentage of delivery to dine in is 50-50, even up till today. Mm. Under Ooh. normal circumstances, before COVID, it's about 10-15% of our sales. All right. And our business model is not built for 50% delivery. Yeah. Our rental mm. has still been the same. The amount of people that we need is still the same. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Our fixed costs are still the same. So that becomes a very painful reality for us. And of course, November, December, uh, the cost of goods has been increasing Inflate, tremendously. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Last time, once a month, our suppliers will always email us. Here's one page, a one pager of 10, 20 items that has a slight increase in price, maybe two, three percent. In November, we were receiving memos every week. Of the changes. Of the changes. Ooh. And one of the memo, the craziest one was, expect the prices in the next few months to go up between two, uh, 20% to 200%. We're like, what, what the was the 200% item? They, they, uh, we, didn't, don't we don't use it. It's not part of uh, okay, our, okay. our menu. But um, yeah, we, there was the memo. It said, expect there to be such a hike. And in fact, even to, uh, till yesterday, when I was talking to chicken suppliers, our chicken supplier, things are not going to get better anytime soon. In fact, Gosh. Um, I, I, I told you guys just now, there are reports of uh, even the KFC down, downstairs in Atria here, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. where yeah. they had no chicken to sell. They ran out of chicken. Huh? KFC you know that, ran John? out of chicken. <laughs> oh my God. And this is in the city. So yeah. it started happening in the um, sub more suburban areas, right? The, the, the smaller towns, right? Because I think KFC strategize wise, strategy wise, support the, the main town ones first and then the, yeah. the yeah. fringe ones. Yeah, suburb, yeah. we're not yeah. exactly town town. La. Exactly. So there is a huge supply chain disruption and we're all facing mm. it. Look, McDonald's made an announcement. They can't serve large fries anymore, serve medium fries so that they can stretch it out longer. For smaller players like me, right? Just two weeks ago, we had to go to the supermarket just to grab whatever fries we could find from no the way. freezer. Oh my because gosh. No, it's no not way. that. So the the there's so there's such huge movements within the industry. So anyway, coming back to the point, um, you know, post uh, dine in being allowed, we are not doing any better. Mm. So we realized that there is pandemic proof, and some business like to say that we are pandemic proof. You should invest in us now. Mm. But we realize, are you? post-pandemic proof. Ooh, that's <laughs> a new term. <laughs> because I mean, it's, and we've talked to different people from in, within the industry and we realized that uh, everyone, not everyone is doing well. Certain industries, the omakase industries, damn good. Of course, uh, they have right? to be there. Right? They, they, yeah, right? And people are, are, are spending money there. Great, great on them. Um, the, the more niche experiential, experiential type uh, F&B, like I said, steamboat, barbecue, all this, doing really well. But there are certain types where because of behavioral change stemming from uh, aggressive, um, I would say, uh, promotions by delivery platforms have really built mm. habits within uh, the, the consumers. And that we are feeling it. But at the same time, I'm also on the other spectrum of thinking, is this sustainable? Because they're spending so much money trying to convert customers. The question is, will this sustain? Will I hold, should I hold out until things become normal again? Or... Do I start changing my business structure? Do I move to a smaller location and just serve delivery? Hmm. So a lot of our listeners like a bit of numbers, right? Okay. So um, uh, 
I think the, the what you brought up is this delivery and then dine-in uh, separation. Now, my mom is also in FMB and she's very reluctant to go delivery because of the juicy cuts that these uh, delivery platforms take, right? Yep. So uh, obviously, uh, my burger lab is on are on delivery platforms. And what is the reasoning behind it? Because what I tell my mom is, yeah, I know your margin is going to get eaten up nicely, but it's all about, yes, making the additional profit if it's possible, but it's also maintaining your marketing so that people during the pandemic can still eat your food and remember it. That's my logic to her, say, yeah, just just go with it, lah, right? Yeah. But she disagrees because she wants the margins. What what is Burger Lab's thoughts on this, right? And also give a sense, right, of the for myself and the listeners, right, how much less money you make when you do delivery? Um, first, let me clarify. Yes, yes. Uh, we have been on delivery platform since five years ago, mm. as far as five years ago. Um, we started with Food Panda, mm-hmm. mm. and uh, at that time, um, you know, we were still fairly popular and. Uh, uh, Food Panda was very aggressive uh, in in acquiring us or at least getting us on board, um, and the general manager at that time uh, came to me directly and and really courted us lah, Let's just put it that way. I say, look, if your food can be delivered within half an hour and still stay fresh, I'll consider. So he 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 did all he can. He brought uh, the rider, asked him to cycle around, like you know, put in order the food, put it inside. Uh, he who travel test, test, like half an hour, know. come back, you know, test the food. We're still happy with it or not. So I was like, okay, fine, let's let's try it out. But I want the clause to be able to uh, exit this partnership anytime, because one of my other fear at that time, five years ago, was that if I'm making a hundred k a month for this store, if I do delivery and I pay you twenty five percent, let's say, okay. Will I still be making hundred k, or more, mm. or less, right? Uh, but it turns out, to to my surprise, that delivery became a supplementary sales. Those who mm. wanted to dine in and have fresh burgers, they will come in and have fresh burgers. So my hundred k maintained, but Food Panda brought in an extra twenty percent of sales. So mm. then I had twenty k of sales. So that to me was okay. What's the volume? What was the volume comparison as well? Do you do you roughly know? Oh, what do you mean by volume comparison? Uh, like the amount of burgers for deliveries and the amount of burgers. Oh, it's and sales, right? Sorry, okay. I thought it was profit. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, in okay. that sense, it is yeah, close yeah. to 20%. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so then uh, obviously there was a change uh, and I wasn't too happy with uh, Food Panda's uh, service at that point in time. Uh, so they can toggle all this, whether they put more riders near your area and they give you the good riders, or even riders that are different tiers, right? Yeah. Um, and But we were experiencing a lot of problems, uh, especially um, when they had they had riders that were either very rude or they do double delivery, meaning that I'll take your food, I'll wait for the next food to be ready. Oh, I'll take yeah, that as yeah, well. that so the first the person is going to have cold burger, right? Uh, and we told them we don't, we agreed not to do this, right? They said, oh, no choice, it's once in a while thing, but it became so frequent that we were very unhappy. So then came Grab and uh, Grab also courted us very hard. And we were like, okay, you know, <coughs> we seem like uh, a better choice at this point. And they were offering us a lower percentage as well. And uh, we tried it, tried it out. And we had a great relationship. I think Grab was very supportive. Uh, they were really, they, they, they were funding a lot of uh, the promotions as well. And we enjoyed it. But at that time, I didn't see the potential downside of that in the long run. Because, you know, I'm, I'm in a position of advantage. Why should I complain, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, and I think came COVID. And that <laughs> was when I felt a little bit slighted by the delivery partners. Whether it's Grab, mm. whether it's Food Panda. And 
because I'm a very vocal person within the industry and uh, I kind of read it, read, rallied a lot of uh, FMB players together in a chat group and we were all talking about different problems. So prior to COVID, a lot of businesses were not on delivery. Mm -hmm. uh, select a handful were on delivery only. Yep. Right? But yep. when we were under lockdown, we all had no choice. So everyone started scrambling around, calling the craft food uh, sales guys and the food panda sales guys and say, hey, you know, we want to be on delivery right now. And you would think that in that period where everyone is doing delivery only, that they will offer a better rate. Immediately, mm. the rate was 30% and above. Yeah. Mm. Right. I don't know. I'm probably gonna get in trouble with this. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> no, uh, I, I think that, that that's a term for an industry gorging and they used it to yeah. their advantage. Uh. Which was crazy. And they were using terms yeah. of kita jaga kita, this and that. I'm like, no, you're not kita jaga kita. Right. And then yeah. we, in and in our position as Burger Lab, we asked for, hey, you know what? Last time, um, you know, 20% of my sales uh comes from you. Right now it's hundred percent. Can we lower down the percentage a little bit? Because you're obviously earning more. Yeah. Because we yeah. had the same amount of sales, right? After the first, so the first month, it was terrible because everyone was cooking at home because everyone was stocking up at home. But after one month yeah. of cooking at home, people were like, you know See, what? I wanna, yeah. yeah, I want to eat outside already. Uh, so we started seeing a shift and we said, look, we, we can't be profitable. Can you adjust it a little bit? You're earning more than before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The answer mm. was no. They said, Ooh. oh, we are not doing good as well. Because mm. other parts of their businesses were suffering. Right hailing, right hailing, yeah, for example. Yeah, yeah. Understandable, we asked, they said no. And I was like, okay, I'm not gonna touch your business. I said, I won't, I won't ask for too much if you say no on good on goodwill, right? On good faith that yeah, you're not doing well either. Understood. Mm. And that was when the, the two, the pink and the green, started having a price war. Mm. They were throwing 50%, 70% left, right, and center. And that was when I went to, to them and said, You told us you didn't have money. Now you're giving <laughs> up to 12 ringgit 50 cents off per order. Mm, Do you know how yeah. much it would mean to all these F&B businesses if you Correct. took the 12.50 and you just took 2.50, you give it back to us, yeah. right? And customers, give them the 10% discount. I don't care. Give it to them. But 2.50, you give it Help back to us. Help us out as well. Uh, Help us out as well. But the mentality at that point, the way I saw it was that merchants became indispensable. Sorry, dispensable. Yeah. Right? Mm. Oh, you don't want to be on us, is it? Don't worry. We got we got 10 more merchants just lining up to, to be on our platform because everyone was struggling to survive. And that was when I saw the true, to me, la, the true nature of, of our relationship. So I became more vocal. In fact, you know, on platforms like this, yeah. I'm not calling any individual platform out. Both of them are, in fact, now there's three of them, right? And probably a fourth one as well, a yellow color one, mm. right? It's insane. And the only way they know how to attract customers is promotions. And right now, because of the way the game is played, riders is number one. They need fleet control. Without riders, they can't, they can't deliver food. So everyone is trying to give the best uh, rate to the riders. Then after mm. that, it's the customers. All the promotions go to the customer. Merchants, you can't afford it. You're out. But wow. here's the thing. We work the hardest. Without yes. the team cooking. You guys have the product, right? We have the product. But because everyone is so lashed on to their tits, right? That no one dares at this point let go because they feel like if I let go, 50% of my sales is off the table. And that's where I mm. am at right, right now. Right? So I, I, I think that that's an imbalance. And all I ask for is let's come to the table and talk. Uh, mm. But we're not getting that because we're not united as one front. All FMB uh, players fragmented. are fragmented. That's true. Right. 
So that, that, that is the problem or the, the challenge we face. We all talk about the same problem, but none of us can come together and act as one. Why, why is that the case, do you think? I don't know. And I think I, I want to be that guy holding, you know, the, 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 the flag and say, hey, no, reality behind me, but I'm busy saving my own business. Yeah, yeah. I won't yeah, have time yeah. to do that, yeah. right? And then if you think about it, um, you know, on the rider side, uh, that's also a tricky one. Most riders I know have three bags at home, all color, pink, orange, uh, and green. Green. And depending on what rate, who is giving out on a... On, so uh, just so you, you guys know, I don't know if uh, you knew this or not. Um, when they throw promotions, let's say a 50-50 mm-hmm. or whatever promotions that they're doing, they need riders. So on those days, riders will get a premium. Mm. So as a rider, and I'm a gig, I'm a gig uh, worker, ma, right? I, I don't log into you today, not, not a big deal. Ma. So I will hop onto the platform that pays me more today. Mm. And for mono uh, delivery platform play, uh, merchants like me, where I only on one platform. Remember the day when uh, Shopee Food launched? Ah, yes. Our food, we, no one would, would dare to deliver it because all the Ooh. riders went over to Shopee for that one day. <laughs> oh <they> were... gosh. <laughs> wow. So we were playing this game and merchants are always at the loss uh, in this current so you basically channel. have to be on all platforms, lah, right? Otherwise. Omnichannel is, is the way to go. Um, and here's the other thing. Everyone offers different rate, different commission. Um, and the, the, dif- the difficult part for us when we're on Omnichannel is when we want to play different pricing. Uh, some players, uh, some platforms allow us to have dynamic pricing. Some say, no, you must be in-store pricing. If you don't do in-store pricing, your commission will be this high instead. Or people can no longer search you on your platform. So we were, we are playing with all this. And even if I can do multiple different prices, my POS has to be able to handle it as well. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. My, my staff have to do like, this came from this. So you need a team la, to analyze Oh my God. <laughs> wow. And I don't MG, have that have team. This is a new job, man. Yeah. COVID creating MG, new jobs. Have you seen huh? the, the cashiers in restaurants uh, where they grab food, food oh, panda, yes. all that, right? All the terminals. My God, I, I really respect those guys who have to handle it, you know, because I this one came, it's you a, have to label it. It must be so, so much brain of a system. Game. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and then you have to do the some sort of the uh, discounting model in your head because this guy is pricing it this much. This guy is pricing it. It's insane, uh, to be honest. Uh. Yeah. yeah. So actually, but but like, I think I go back to my question, right? Like, give a sense of like, how, like so you talked a lot about how pre-pandemic they they added your to your top line about twenty percent. Um, now it's probably about fifty fifty. But in terms of the bottom line, like how yeah. much? less do you make when you deliver instead of uh, dining? Um, so I, I don't know if I can entirely blame sure, it sure, on sure. the delivery model because mm. like I said, costs have gone up significantly and every other week we are adjusting that. Um, but, you know, from having, let's say, a, a, a percentage of profit, mm. uh, of gross profit at around, um, let's say, 15%, right? Mm-hmm. You're looking at close to 5% now. <sighs> what? Wow. My God. Yeah. And, and There's I, not much I, room I'm to play sure with. You, yeah. I'm pretty sure you want to maintain your quality. So every time your suppliers actually give you a memo, I doubt you do a cost pass through immediately. You know, no, you of probably have to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it's one not, of your menu prices will change every week. <laughs> yeah. So one of the worst call I've made as as a leader uh, in the company was I didn't dare pull the trigger early enough. Uh, mm. In fact, we only changed our price in February, but once mm. we did our PNL. So when we did a PNL in November, we're like, okay, we're making a small loss. Fine, we tahan first. Things will be better. Mm. 
Then December, oh shit, it's, it's really, the gap is widening. Then January, I still didn't pull the trigger. I was like, chill, chill a bit. I think things will, will normalize out. Didn't. Then in, th there was enough damage that was done already. By end of January, we were like in deep red. Everything that we've okay. saved for, for the last two years that we either broke even or made a little bit of money all went, mm -hmm. went out. Um, and I also made a mistake of, okay, I don't know if it's a mistake or not, but I also committed to paying out bonus to my team for 2022. We made uh, a little bit of money. We said, look, you guys worked hard. Here's, here's a little bit of, uh, you know, half a month or one month bonus, better than nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And we didn't expect things to be so bad. Uh, so with that commitment, we, we, we basically bleed ourselves uh, dry to some extent. So then only we, we triggered um, the price change in February, which has helped a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, with every week, uh, things changing. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm tackling as I go. Yeah, uh, and of course, uh, labor is in huge shortage and everyone mm. is poaching one another, uh, especially really? new restaurants. Uh, I mean, I'm glad there are new restaurants coming into the foray, but um, you have to understand when new when people start a new restaurant, they have the highest um, reserves. They have the big, they, 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 they have capital. They're, they're starting, starting off, yeah, they're starting yeah, off yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So uh, usually they can throw price a bit. Lah. So if you're offering 2,000 ringgit for a waiter, right? Uh, 2,002. And it's point market. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. It's part mm, of the mm. game. It's part of the game. Uh, so we, the older restaurants are, uh, of course, a little bit not as shiny, not as, uh, you know, uh, sexy anymore. So, you know, people move to the newer restaurants to work. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of shift. And in fact, uh, people don't stay as long. Uh, you have people who mm. work and then the next day they'll just disappear. Really? Right? Uh, this is thankfully wrong. not uh, within my organization, okay, 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 okay. but I have uh, friends uh, within the, the industry wow. that are experiencing that. And it's common. What's the turnover like wow. for Burger Lab, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, what's the attrition rate? Uh? Yeah, what's yeah. the attrition rate? Oh, these are big, big words for me. Uh, do you define this on a yearly basis or on a monthly so basis? So that means, let's just say, uh, if you have 100 employees in a year and then 20 leave, your attrition rate is about 20%. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, would dash, I would say it's about 10%. Okay, so I'd say about ten percent. Okay. Very good. Um, yeah. However, that's based on full time only. Part time is more. Ah, makes sense. Uh. Okay. Yeah. So when you can you can you give us examples of part time and why are these positions still part time for Burger Lab in a way? We have no choice. Uh, in the sense uh. where we will take whoever that wants to work. We can't fill up the gap. So if yeah, yeah. under this kind of circumstances, so okay. So pre COVID Burger Lab ninety percent part timers. That's mm. who we believe we are. We we want young people who are in school mm. to have retail experience. We want them mm. to enter our workforce, live as better adults, young adults. That's who mm. we are. That's what we believe in. That's why pre-pandemic, you go to any burger lab, it's all young people. Correct. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, not, that, not that it's older now, but uh, right now we are looking at more career, um, who, people who want to drive a career in, in FMB. Uh, that's mm. where we're targeting. So if you can hire full-time, that's our go-to um, uh, preferred hire. Uh, but of course, there's not enough power supply, uh, power supply, manpower mm, supply mm, mm, to go around. So if there are part-timers, we take. Yeah. I see. Uh, I'm pretty sure you do, uh, I think you said it earlier, exit interviews and all that. Uh, would would it be a good assumption to say that a lot of them leave, but they, they leave within the FMB industry or they leave to join another industry altogether? <laughs> I mean, based on your sampling, industry. I know it can't, it can't be precise science. but They join the gig industry. Ah. Gig industry. Okay. Yeah. okay, that's interesting. And the e-commerce industry as well. 
I see. I I think I think you gave them too too good of a training, lah, Remy. That's why. <laughs> la. <laughs> oh, no, see, it's a good thing. It's a it's, it's a good thing. Actually, it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just not good yeah. for us in this current times, lah. Nah, understood. Understood. Yeah. <laughs> Man, so I I guess I have to, I I like to do my part to help out, right? If someone wants to send their CV, where who they send it to? What's the email? <laughs> yeah, well, we put I mean, a link down there in the comment yeah. section. <laughs> we can do that. Um, I, I here's the thing. I I also understand that FMB is not for everyone. Yeah, and it's a true. tough, 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 tough industry. And currently, because of the economy, or the yeah, because of how the economy is and how we have all suffered for the last two years, people are opting for, you know what, I earn a little bit less, but I have more freedom. Ah, okay. There are that, right? I also know of people who left uh, us, might be making 2000 uh, to 2005, um, and earning 1008, but he has more flexibility, mm. right? Um, because you have to understand in FMB, right? When people are eating lunch and dinner, you're not eating lunch or dinner. When people are celebrating yeah. with their friends on the weekend, you're not out there hanging out with your friends and family in the, on the weekend. Under normal circumstances, people who, who enjoy serving people who, are, who came into this industry out of the idea of servitude, there are less and less of these people because the last two years has been grueling for everyone. You can only give joy to other people when you have some level of yeah. happiness or joy yourself. Right? Why would you go into an industry that you know you're going to be, you have to output so much energy, you have to output so much happiness to other people when you yourself mm. might not be in a good place? Not to your fault, but to how things are. Yeah. Right? So I think that's why people are opting out of uh, FMB. And most of the time, it is due to mental health as, as the main reason. Mm. Yeah, and I don't blame mm. them. I want out too. Yeah. <laughs> if I can, I want out too. All right. Yeah, but you, you're, you're too deep into it. Yeah, I'm too deep into it. I'm, yeah. I'm the captain. Hey, please, to. please don't stop, man. I love your burglars, <laughs> please. Uh. Yeah, the captain has to sink, have to go go down with the with the ship. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Maybe it's a good segue now, MJ, to probably the the, the intricacies of make, making things on the menu because- Yes, perfect, was just perfect. Like, you, you do that, yeah, I'll I grab a water for bro of us, okay? All right. Okay, great. Uh, so, so Renyi, as an engineer myself, uh, you know, I've always thought of food as a very creative process. But now looking at it, it's uh, you have in a way proven that it's more scientific. I mean, I've seen some chefs, you know, those Michelin star chefs, right? They try to bring a lot of science. Maybe let's start off with a very simple and humble idea of the burger patty. And what was the science behind it? Why, why the burger patty? I think you shared because of the Rambi burgers and the Michelin. But... What was your initial discovery stage when you created your first patty? What what you wanted it to be? What was the objective? And what was the learning process? And what you learned as much? Yeah. All right. Um, for me, I un I only understood that flavor came from fats. Ah. Uh, a little bit not not later, but in the in the process of um, developing our first patty, I thought mm -hmm. that it was the flavor that you chuck in, uh, the herbs that you chuck in. If you search online to make a beef patty, right? Uh, most of the time they'll say, you know, add garlic powder, add, uh, you know, all, all these flavors, uh, right? Whether it's salt, pepper, mix it all in, add a, um, add a, uh, right proportion. eggs and, and whatnot, and you mix it. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I think mm. there's a thousand and one ways to make a good burger, right? Okay. Uh, but for me, I wanted a beef patty that has, had its own unique taste. I so um, at the time when we were working out of a pop-up in uh, this, red this cafe called Red Bean Bag, uh, I don't know if okay. you guys have been before, Australian Brunch Cafe, really, really good. And OG, mm -hmm. been around for 10 years plus. Do go visit okay. them. Uh, 
they were the one that supported us by giving us a space to, to do a pop-up. And at the time, mm. the chef there, his name is Ryan. And he said, mm -hmm. hey, I'm going to teach you a method. Uh, but you cannot do a lot. One. You can only do a few burgers at a time. I said, mm. okay, uh, teach me anyway. Uh, right? Mm -hmm. He said, you know, the flavor comes from fat, right? Mm. I said, all you need to do is take the fat, cook it, right? And then um, freeze it and then blend it together with the beef. Mm. So that there's more flavor. Huh. Mm -hmm. It's called rendering the fat. Mm -hmm. But that process is smelly and it takes them a lot of time. I see. But we did it anyway. Then halfway through, I was like, hmm, what, how do people make rosemary oil? How do people make lemon oil? Because if you go to the supermarket, you yeah, see these yeah, little yeah, yeah. nice fancy yes. jars and they got flavored yes, oil, right? Correct, correct. Then yeah. I realized, oh, wait a minute. These are not oil from lemon. These are not oil from rosemary. They infuse it. Mm -hmm. Then I realized that, oh, oil or fat is a very good vehicle to transport flavor. And how they ah. infuse this flavor, right, is you can do it at home. Buy canola oil, something that is a little bit uh, more neutral. neutral oil, right? yeah. yeah. And then put in whatever herbs you want, whether it's garlic, yeah. rosemary. Even scallion. Scallions. Yeah, scallion yeah exactly. Oil. Sesame. Oh, sesame is sesame oil. But the point is you can mix and match, yeah, yeah. right, whatever flavor you want, low heat, extract the flavor out. There you go. You know, infused oil. So then I was thinking, holy shit, we are already boiling this fat and rendering it yeah, into, yeah, yeah. you know, beef fat. We're going to chuck aromatics into it. So we chuck uh, garlic, onion, star anise, like all the f flavors that I want in a burger, mm. right? That's why when you eat our, our burger patty, the old one lah, at least, you can taste all this complex flavor, but you don't see the garlic pieces. You don't see the rosemary ah. pieces because it's already infused in the fat. But again, doing that on a small scale, no problem. Mm. But it will hit a point where it becomes too <laughs> difficult to do. And mm. that's where um, we started hitting a wall a couple of years back. And then we started switching the, the technique. So instead of using fat, we still use fat. We grind into the meat together. Um, what we do is we make umami jelly. So we, take, we make a broth, all right? And we take the same herbs and what we, uh, what we usually add into the beef fat anyway. Um, so we don't render the fat anymore. We take the, the normal fat and grind it in, but we make umami jelly. So we make a broth with all the herbs and whatnot. Then we add gelatin into it. Huh. And then the gelatin acts as a fat. Mm, and I then see. we grind the meat together and then it will provide some level of moisture and also flavor. Wow. Again, over COVID uh, and, and right now we're super short-staffed. Uh, our equipments are also breaking down. They are a little bit old already. Uh, we realize that we cannot continue doing this. We've hit that that ceiling that the wall. Ryan mm. talked about, right? That wall that Ryan talked about. And it took us 10 years to get that, which is a good thing. Um, mm. And we said, okay, we need our next patty, right? Uh, our next flavored patty. Uh, and, uh, but we, we were thinking, how do we, we are, we are 10 years old. As a, as a restaurant, we're basically in our, I guess, late teens, right? We, we yeah. need to mature yeah. up. Yeah. And that's when I said, you know what? Let's go back to fundamentals. Let's serve a really, really good beef burger that we can mm -hmm. alter the flavor profile from the outside. Okay. So we worked with our supplier, Lucky Frozen, and we developed a beef patty together. And they have the technology. They, they have a 1.5 million ringgit machine, right? That can maintain um, the, 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 the cold chain from start to finish. So the beef, if you haven't seen it before, it's like a big box of like think 20, 30 kg worth of meat. Whoa. It's fro mm. frozen one block at negative 25 degrees. 
And you can't yeah. grind a negative 25 degrees yeah. block. You need to bring it down it's to about four, negative four degrees. All right. So he has a microwave, a microwave like layman term, that he puts it in, it travels from one end to the other, and it defrosts it to exactly negative four degrees from wow. core to outside. Wow. Right. I'm actually and watching the video of it right now. The yes, one you, you posted. Yes, it. I posted. Yeah, yeah, that's that's I, I exactly like, it. While, while, while MJ was asking, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is engineering marvel for food. Yeah. <laughs> so then they grind the whole block, right? And yeah. you must ask, hey, what about all those muscles, all those tough parts, this and that? The sinews. The sinews and whatnot. The machine has, has the capacity to break it down. To break uh. it, no, to break it down, to actually extract it. Ah, ooh. So okay. that's the technology that we can't afford. Yeah, yeah. 1.5 so, million ringgit, right? 1.5 million, right? Yeah. Um, so, we work with the right partners right now to get the beef that we want. And because it's maintained the cold chain, we can actually serve it mm. medium doneness, where wow. it's mm. maximum juiciness. Why previously, right, you ask, hey, Renyi, if I eat your burger before, every time I bite into it, it's brown color inside one, but it's still juicy to some extent. It's juicy because of the rendered fat that we put in, of the I umami see. liquid that we put in. Yeah. Yeah. We had to mimic it. Then you say, hey, how come you don't cook medium last time? All right, that's a good reason. You guys know that mm. for burgers, it's not recommended to eat a medium. Oh, I well when I eat my steak, it's always uh, okay. medium rare. So. Steak is different. Yeah, yeah now yeah, yeah. there's bacteria everywhere, right? Correct. You take a piece of steak, yeah. there's bacteria outside as well. But you grill it. That's why you grill it. You cook it. So the outside is is cooked. There's no bacteria, right? Inside but the inside fine. it's fine because it's intact. It's correct, within correct, the meat. Correct, correct. Ah. You don't eat a steak that has been cut in half. But when you grind, you cannot do that because exactly it's to it. yeah. you mix everything in, right? So why the uh, idea of the cold chain not being broken is always under negative uh, for, um, zero degrees, right? It's because the amount of bacteria that is growing in there is minimal. Mm. That's why if you grind a piece of beef today, you take a steak, you grind it, turn it a burger, you can cook medium, no problem. Mm. But one day later, you cannot. I see. Wow, so sensitive. That's the difference time. because in one day, even you keep it in the fridge, right? It, the bacteria has slowly, um, what do you call it? Um, propagated lah, because it's yeah, like- Yeah, not propagated, yeah. but it has multiplied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, multiplied lah, yeah. Yes, yeah. and then you yeah. have a higher chance of getting a tummy ache. <coughs> yeah. So for us, because of it being frozen all the way, it never had a chance for the bacteria to grow. So even mm. when in the store right now, we cook it frozen. It hits the griddle frozen. So is there bacteria inside? Yes, minimal. So it's as if you just ground the beef today, this morning. I see. Wow. How, how long is the shelf life of, uh, if you have this entire cold chain, uh, how long is the normal shelf life of a patty? For us, we keep it to a month, but okay. in theory, it can be one year. I see. Because of the frozen, it is in a way, I know it's a, not a very good parallel, but you kind of like pasteurize the beef la, in a way. No, 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 that's the wrong uh, <laughs> oh, wrong parallel. Okay, what, what would be a good parallel? No, it's, it's just that uh, if you buy chicken today, if you're not eating it mm. in the next two, three days, keep it frozen. And you mm-hmm. can technically keep it frozen for one year, two years, three years, as long as the fridge doesn't break down and you know there's a defrost and you can still yeah. eat it. End of the world, you can still eat it. It won't taste good. The texture would have changed already over time. Okay. Right? Okay. But I can say it's safely, you can safely eat it and cook it without getting a tummy ache. Right. I That's see. the science behind, you know, the, the bacterial propagation. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. if you put yeah. it in chiller, three days gone. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. So, you know, in the past, you said that you had a scaling problem with the way you made it. With this cold chain, obviously it's safer, but uh, in terms of t- taste, I think 
any with any industrialization process, would it be fair for me to say that the the, the taste would not be as good as your the the previous process that you made it with, which is more tedious? I can only say come and try, and you know, okay. let your taste buds be the judge of it. For me, I'm a food person. I think people who know uh. me. Uh, knows that I will not serve something that I personally would not eat. Um, Great. Well, of course, um, you know, when it's in the hands of my team, there are good days and there are bad days, right? So don't mm. judge me for the, on, for the bad days only. Uh, but <laughs> I've gone through this and yes, it is a sacrifice because for the last nine years, we've been educating people that why our beef burger is the best is because we do a smash, a smash burger technique. And everyone's doing a smash Ooh. burger technique these days. Um, but like I said, for us, it didn't make sense moving forward. In fact, the mm. big brand like Shake Shack is still famous for its smash belly, right? I wish mm -hmm. I can continue to do so. But for the sake of my team, for the sake of the transition that we, we are moving forward to in terms of the technology that we have, we have to move mm. away from that. So Understood. I'm going to say, hey, look, I'm going to serve a patty that is grilled and it doesn't have the same nice browning that we, we used to have. But there is different ways to deliver that flavor. Sure. Right. So we have a special salt that we developed. It's not just a normal okay. salt. It's got other uh, flavors uh, infused into it. And then we okay. season it with that. And when you eat it, uh, to me, it's magical. Wow. It's magical. Uh, it's, it tastes different, but it is, to me, at this point, yeah. a better product. Yeah, yeah you're, you're, you're solving the problem by not uh, trying to improve Proof, I guess, the the beef, but other areas to make the whole taste uh, uh, better. Am I, is that a correct description? No, I, I would say that, look, I have product A, mm -hmm. and that was a great burger. Mm -hmm. I have product B, which on its own is a great burger. You mm -hmm. cannot compare it together. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, there mm -hmm. are so many ways to make a good nasi lemak. Of course. Right? Is of there course. one nasi lemak you know, that's, that is the best in the world? Mm. Right? There's none. And you can appreciate different things. And I think as a business grow, that is to some extent expected. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. in fact, because a lot of people also work with us, uh, you start seeing a few cafes and restaurants carrying bur their menu. It says um, burgers and it says either collaboration with my burger lab or yes. design my, my burger lab. Yes. This product mm. is also to solve that issue as well. Because Lucky ah. Frozen, for example, is one of uh, the biggest supply chain in, in Malaysia. Everyone orders from them to some extent. So... If we are in collaboration with the cafe, we will basically tell Lucky Frozen to give them permission to sell to them. Nobody else uh, can buy the patty because it's under us. But if we give green light and we work together, our branding is there as well. So cafes and restaurants can actually reach out to us and say, can we buy your patty? Say, yes, let's work together. I want my name mm. on the burger section. If you're not a burger joint, mm. you don't care for it. Yeah, in fact, it is yeah. a, it's a benefit to you if you say that, oh, the burgers here are in collaboration with my burger lab, which is yeah. the name, you know, burger joint. I have to ask you, right? Uh, uh, yeah, sorry, John. Yep. Yeah, sorry. sorry. Uh, who owns the IP? Because you work very closely with Lucky Frozen yep. because of the equipment and all that. How do you... Uh, is there an IP to it? Uh, and who, if, if there is, then how is the IP uh, somewhat protected and it, as well okay. as respected in somewhat? Yeah. I think it's a gentleman's agreement. Uh, James and uh, mm. Burger Lab and I have worked together for years. Uh, mm -hmm. And I say, look, the more I sell, the more money you make and people want yeah. to work with us right yeah. the only thing i ask for is you only sell it to the people that we, we give green light to we just don't want any other random cafes yeah, yeah. and restaurants that might not be as well reputed reputable or or serve good food that you know carry our product lah, right mm -hmm. uh, but it's a gentleman's mm -hmm. agreement it is labeled as the my burger lab patty um and uh, yeah we have that mutual agreement hopefully moving forward uh, because right now honestly there's nothing to stop him from selling to anybody else yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. nothing. Yeah. 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 Uh, but not everyone knows how to use the patty. In fact, 
uh, we sent a few samples to our partners and they were like, hey, this, this patty is not good. And then I will go over and I'll show them the correct method that we, we, we are using to, to get it. And they're like, oh, okay, this is actually a very good patty. <laughs> so there are techniques behind it as well. Uh, so that was uh, found by accident because my team, when they sent sample to our current existing partners, they yep. were using the old patty. They just sent, they didn't give instruction. I'm like, nice. Ah. Like, you know, come on. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I realized that it's not uh, something that you can just use uh, without much thought into, without understanding why we developed the patty to be that way in the first place. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. MG? I, I have to ask, right, in terms of complexity of producing uh, whatever is on your menu, which is the most uh, historically the uh, most complex burger to produce and the and the simplest one? Or they all pretty much the same? Um, I think the most complex one it would have to be the nasi lemak burger. Uh, uh, the reason why I say it's complex is not because uh, everything had to be hand like uh, how to say made by ourselves. Like the sambal, we don't make it. We 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 buy a halal brand that is decent in taste, uh, <laughs> yeah. so that it's safe to eat as well. Uh, but the rundown, we make it ourselves. But when I say it's complicated, it's because it has the most ingredients in one burger. So to assemble that burger, I think there's close to 11 ingredients. Whew. So it takes long, the longest to make, right? Uh, while the simplest one is always a simple cheeseburger. It's a go-to. Um, so yeah, I, I think burgers, you can make it as complex as you, as you want. You want to say, hey, I'm going to put some gold leaf, I'm going to put some foie gras on there. Yeah, you can complicate it. Right? Yeah. Um, but for us, on the operational level, it's how fast the burger can be made. So the more ingredients there are, the more complex it becomes. Okay, okay. Now I, I want to go on to a little bit about something we talked about earlier during uh, lunch. Uh, lunch. And I'm surprised I haven't fallen asleep yet actually after the lunch. But um, I don't know, uh, you know about this, uh, supply chains are actually uh, causing a lot of problems, right? In the food industry. And I know you have strong thoughts about this. So maybe you wanna explain uh, a little bit. Um, I think there is a global supply chain uh, issue happening. Um, and the question is, it's not stopping. Speaking to our suppliers, we know that there is a huge disruption across the world. I think the latest news, and if you guys uh, are in tune with it, is that wheat is... is it's double in price. It's going to be double or triple the price simply because Ukraine and Russia are, uh, I think they produce 30% of the world's supply of yep. wheat, yep. right? Uh, so they are in war right now. And uh, apparently this season, like uh, the summer season, is when they are supposed to start uh, planting the crops for next season. Yeah. And if they don't do it within this window, right, it's going to be a gap year. And, you know, we're going to have a huge uh, supply shortage. And we, we all rely on wheat uh, to some extent. Um, so that in itself is causing huge concern. Um, I spoke to a chicken supplier recently. And uh, I don't know if you guys heard of this. And I confirmed the news. I thought it was just a rumor. Uh, the chicken suppliers are refusing to uh, up their, their production of chicken because it, they lose money uh, doing so. Wow. The feed that they import, uh. right, uh, from where it's corn, I don't know from which country, but they import, the price has gone up. So to raise a yep. full chicken, right, it used to be, let's say, six ringgit. Now it's probably costing them seven, eight ringgit. Wow. But the government is saying, hey, look, ceiling price, you must sell at six ringgit. If you're a chicken farmer, would you raise the chicken? You won't. Because you know you're going to raise it and you're going to sell it at a loss. So then we are at that dilemma, right? Uh, so thankfully, there are still uh, chicken farmers that are, are still producing. Um, and they are, they, again, this is supposed to be, uh, uh, what do you call it, off, 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 topic, uh, off the mic, right? right. Uh, there they are ways 
for them to to charge it back lah, to the consumers, especially for people like us where we do need the chicken. We say, look, I don't mind if it's more expensive, right? At least I can I can sell. If I hmm. if I let's say I'm a hawker store, I I, I uh, sell chicken chop. <laughs> There's no chicken. Yeah. What business is there to do, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so for us, it's the same thing. We have a long term deal with the uh, suppliers, uh, but who suffers most are the smaller players, are the consumers who will hmm. walk into supermarkets, who will walk into um, you know, uh, smaller hawker stores and not find them to be operational simply because they have no ingredients to serve. Yeah. 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 Actually, yeah. I, I have a, a different source, but confirming what you just said, it's, a, it's actually a pre-mix, poultry pre-mix uh, supplier. And they are, uh, a lot of new businesses are coming into them is because the, the feed itself, uh, ironically, it only forms about 55% of the poultry feed, you know. The, the wheat, the corn, whatever. There are other, other ingredients that go in. I won't go into that. But uh, they play a critical role because they help to reduce the prices when there is a... Because it's like you have ingredient A, B, and C in your patty, right? But for you to get the same taste, the same structure, or the same nutrients, you, you adjust accordingly. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's tough because... Uh, we are in a way uh, quite a heavy consumer of poultry meat, especially in Malaysia. It's the cheapest protein. Yes. Uh, and 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 yet, uh, uh, we talk about uh, beef. Beef is considered luxurious, you know, even in Malaysia. Uh, correct, correct my assumption, which is wrong. Uh. No, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I just I, I do the groceries every week, Renny. So I I to be honest, uh, it's been scary because 2020 when I started uh, grocery shopping because I didn't want my wife to get sick. So that's why I went out to do groceries. From 2020 until today, uh, easily minimum of 30% price increase uh, for all across all groceries. Uh. Exactly. It's a bit scary, uh, to be honest. Yeah, man. Yeah. I just bought uh, oat milk yesterday for 20 ringgit. Okay, like, if you can buy oat milk, you are not... I understand. Uh, I understand <laughs> you have no uh. problem with money. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it was my first, first time buying problem. oat milk. <laughs> to be fair, it was my first yeah, time yeah, buying yeah, oat milk, yeah. okay, in my defense. All right, shout out. Uh, which brand did you buy? Farm Fresh. Ah, go and try Oatside. O-A-T-S-I-D-E. Yes, from Indonesia. Okay. It's one of the cheapest, but I think it's the best tasting one. You can get it wow. uh, anywhere. Anywhere. La. Yeah. Okay, I was at Jaya like, All the Jaya Grocer, all the... Um, yeah. Okay, okay. Now, I want to go back to the... I'm not sure if you asked just now when I was away, John, but uh, the creative yeah. process of producing something new. Because I know we've been talking about quite depressing stuff, so I want to talk about something more uh, more fun, right? Which is yeah, yeah. from ideation to appearing on my plate as a consumer, right? Uh, new, fresh uh, ideas for burgers or even pizza, because a lot of people don't know you guys have Pizza Lab as well. Um, mm. Yeah, walk us through what the process. I think a lot of it is inspiration from others. Ah. Uh, I mean, Ooh. we already have a template of things that we personally like. And uh, when we first design our first round of menu, it's usually based on things that we already know, flavors that make sense, flavors that work. Excuse me. And when it comes to, you know, what happens after that is yeah. when we go out to makan in different restaurants yeah. that are also creative mm. and go, hey, wait, this thing is uh, pretty interesting. For example, I, I recently went to uh, this, uh, well, they recently just won uh, 50 Best Asia uh, restaurant. No, not won, but they were one of the nominated one. The restaurant is called Eat and Cook. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. heard of them. Um, and they had this Mui Choi foam. And this is like a fine, yeah, like a fine dining place, right? What? And it was like the most amazing <laughs> thing ever. And I was like, oh, I never thought of using Mui Choi that way before, right? And I thought, wait a minute, that in my head immediately I could connect to one of the flavor profile that uh, I was working on, right? Mm. So, so sometimes you can't, 
your passi, especially for me, where I'm technically not a, I'm, I'm not technically, I'm not a chef, I'm not a cook, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm just a hobbyist, right? Um, mm. And sometimes, well, my brain works in a very unique way where I'm able to combine flavors together, but sometimes you you are not as exposed to everything of or course, to, to these chefs, mm. right? So sometimes when you, when they do certain presentation and you eat it, you go like, oh my God, this is really, really good. And you can form new ideas to, hey, I can oh, use yeah. this in my own dish as well. So a lot of mm. times for us is seeking inspiration elsewhere. Uh, whether it is eating it on our own or online. The, the beauty is mm. we are such a connected world right now and there are so many content mm. creators when it comes to, um, you know, uh, various cuisines um, that, that that is across the world and you can have access to all this potential combination. So food, right? We are more connected than we we realize. Right? Pasta mm. and noodle, pan mi. What's the difference to be, to be honest, right? It's yeah. just mm. a soup base. It's just how it's prepared. That's slightly different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's technically... The same thing. Italian noodle is Chinese noodle. It's is same. But if you cross over, you find you can find that there is a, a spot where they can harmoniously coexist and yes. becomes a new product. So that's what Burger Lab mm. does to some extent. The thing about burger is it's not make, it's not difficult to make a good burger. As long as you can make a decent bun, you have decent cheese, you have decent patty, you can make a good burger, right? Mm. And the thing about a burger is you build flavors on top of one another. You just mm. kind of layer it up, right? Um, so mm. when we had the challenge of uh, paying tribute to uh, a restaurant that I used to like a long time ago, uh, have you all heard of... Um, oh, shit, I can't remember the name now. Uh, there was this restaurant that served a Thai burger. Oh, wow. Long, long time ago. All right. Wait, wait, wait. Sambal Christan, or just... Christan. With Christan. sambal or no, just the Thai? Uh, I don't remember. Ah, with sambal. Okay, with okay, sambal. Okay, okay. So the restaurant name is Chris Tang. C R I S T A N G. Unfortunately, they closed down. Yeah, C R I S Eight Avenue. Yes, long, long time ago, right? Yeah, OPJ there. I really love mm. the burger, and um, when we opened up Burger Lab, I was like, oh no, this place is gone. I really liked it. Let's pay tribute to it. So, and we love doing that. Uh, you see a few tribute burgers uh, on our menu, uh, and mm. that's what I'm, and that's what Burger Lab is about. We don't dare claim that we we invented this and that. A lot of things. Is, is you take inspiration from others. And if you take inspiration from others, you credit them. Anyway, back to the point. Mm. I wanted to create a sambal patai burger tribute. And at the same time, I was like, if I'm going to make a smelly burger, let's make the world's smelliest burger. So then <laughs> combine it with what? Combine it with blue cheese. Ooh. Right? <laughs> durian or durian? No, nah, the thing is, oh, well, the thing is I wanted to do that, but it was more difficult than yeah. I expected. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, blue cheese in the burger has been accepted. Uh, mm. Sambal in a burger... Um, I don't think anyone, oh, I mean, Chris Tang did it, right? And it was it was fairly popular. So I thought, okay, fine. Let's try to combine that. Now, to be honest, blue cheese sauce with sambal patai didn't go too well together. Mm, mm, it, it clashed mm. a little bit. Uh, but when mm, it comes mm. to food, right? Uh, the beauty is sometimes you just need to think of a bridging ingredient. Okay. Mm. So for me, the bridging ingredient was actually pineapple. So if you think about it, okay. Have you had sambal nanas before? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, rare, yes, I have. Right? yes, yes. It, it does exist in our it works, logo. It works, it works good. It, it it's works. a bit like uh, apple curry or so, that, that, mm. that kind of, that zone. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So it's spicy, sweet a little bit. So the sambal patai and nanas works pretty well together because the sambal was the tying ingredient. Then blue cheese. When you eat blue cheese, you eat with dried fruits, right? Or biscuits. That's right. Yeah. Right? Or biscuits, right? So to me, the blue cheese required a little bit of sweetness as well. So when you have that three stacked together, magic happens. Mm. And you know where I get this um, this kind of ideas from? Ratatouille. 
Hey. Remember that scene where he's trying to convince <laughs> his uh, fat uh, cousin Gus, I think. Uh, uh, yes. No, eat this cheese. Okay, it's one mel- one one flavor. Eat this grape. Uh. Oh, then it's another flavor. Then po- combine them together, and it's a whole new flavor. And then that's what's so mm. exciting about food, yeah. right? Um, so that's why you see for us some of the ingredients you got. Yeah, hey, why they combine this? Are they trying to just do something funky and and just to create something viral? Uh, I think the thing is a lot of restaurants do that these days, uh, and that's the unfortunate part. Uh, but for us. It's always finding um, weird combinations mm. that pair well together. Another one that I'm quite proud of, I think you like the Elvis, right? Yeah, actually I wanted to ask, how did that come about? Because peanut, so anything with peanut butter, I should really <laughs> like really. It doesn't really matter yeah, like yeah. what patty you use, what meat, I just peanut butter, okay, I'll take it. So that's me, right? So but the how did com- it come about? The, yeah. the thing is combining two things together. Ikea meatballs, which comes with lin- lin- lindenberry uh, yes, jam. Yes, yes, so yes. meat and jam is not too far off. We have already had that combination. Yes, yes. Mm, PB correct. and J already works on its own. Okay, correct. So naturally, yep. if you put those three together, they work. Mm. And you have, we all have had meat with uh, peanut sauce before. Satay. Oh, yeah. So but that's sweet, you know? It's but sweet. This, yes. But our, our patty is sweet as well. Uh, sorry, our, uh, yeah. our yeah, peanut yeah. butter is sweet as well. Actually, John, have you tried the Elvis yeah. before? I think you tried the Elvis. No, I, I haven't. I haven't. Ah, I haven't tried. See, yeah. I, I, I love. I'm, I'm like MJ la. I love my peanut butter like. Any, even chocolate, yeah. right? My favorite chocolate is peanut butter chocolate. Like. Ah, <laughs> yeah. And, and and back back when you guys were still doing that cheese, then that was the salty element yes. and the crunchy element. Yes. Yeah. Uh, to it, I I want to ask you about this. This one is a little bit deeper because I I do like you know I I, I do part-time cooking. So every now yeah. and then I'll, I'll make uh, spaghetti usually. Um, and one thing I always like to ask someone who is in the industry is, you know, taste is like really, really high up, obviously, but then uh, texture as well, right? Because, you know, uh, it's one thing that the food need to, and okay, to be fair, I realize Asians care a lot more about taste. Mm. People in the West care a lot about texture. Mm. So where do you sit on this? And when you're making a new product, right? Does texture play a big role? Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I know <laughs> we don't always deliver on that. Um, really? Okay, okay. I mean, when we deliver, when we design a patty or a burger, um, there must be layers. I call it layers, uh, layers of texture. And even texture, different kind of crunch also makes a difference, yeah. right? You have your mm. pickle crunch. You have oh, your yes, yes. deep fried crunch. Yes. Right? Mm. And you have your bread crunch. Right, so these mm. are things that we we want to deliver, but of course, when it comes to mass producing product, it becomes very difficult. In fact, correct. Just so you guys know, I do have an omakase burger session, uh, which ah, I which yeah. I do for free for friends. Uh, and my 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 goal is to present the hundred percent version of a burger lab burger, mm. right? So the purest the version. purest version. Mm, mm. And I always say, after you have this version, you're not gonna go down and buy my burger <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Okay. You, have you will look, look at a McDonald's burger very differently after that. I mean, hopefully, <laughs> eating a burger like burger, you will look at a McDonald's different. I do, yeah, really, yeah. I do. Not, uh, yeah. So, but the, the yeah. idea is, there are things, there are ways that you can perfect um, the burger experience. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I don't dare say I I, I, I came out with this idea alone. Uh, you know, I've talked about this guy before, uh, Taiki. Um, he's from Bangkok. If you search uh, Bangkok, T-A-I-K-I, Taiki, uh, he has a six, seven yeah, million yeah. Uh, view video and he got famous because he only made four burgers a day and he, you pay what you want. And usually people pay like 100 to 150 ringgit for each burger. The I, I see, yes, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. Yeah, Drew Bingsley, uh, uh, the video. Yeah. So yeah. he's <laughs> an artist. He's an artist. So when I first heard about him, uh, I tried to contact him and somehow we got connected. And the moment we connected, I flew over to Bangkok. Uh, and, and met up with him. In fact, we invited him to come down to KL mm-hmm. 
and do a present uh, a performance as well. Mm. So we were serving 100 burgers a day, uh, and this was at Momo. So 2019 was a great year. Uh, but the point is, from him, I learned that if you pay attention to every single element, right, you mm. can create wonders. Because prior to that, I just thought. I just need my patty to be good. I just need my sauce to be good. And everything kind of everything else is okay. Like I don't need to execute this 100% out. But when you have tasted his burger, where every single ingredient, whether it's the bun, whether it's the bacon, whether it's the sauce, all executed at its 100%. Mm. Magic. Then you see the difference. Huh? I can never, like it's the best burger in the world I've ever had. Wow. And nothing else comes close. Wow. Right? So that's him. Uh, can, yeah. I don't even perform to his level. Because he's too anal. Yeah, I cannot. Yeah, yeah. I cannot. I mean, I mean, he's an artist. Like, you're a businessman, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. But what I'm trying to say is, even at my omakase level, I still don't perform to his level. It's I just see. Too, I see. It's, it's almost like an art, right? For me, I still want to cut corners here and there a little bit. Because to me, I have 100%, 99%, eh, close enough. Mm, mm, uh, but mm, 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 mm. point is, uh, I think when it comes to texture, yes, you need to pay attention to it. But when it's mass produced, very, very, very difficult, difficult to, pull, to pull off. Yeah. So, yeah. What what would so that's more of the process of getting it onto the plate of a customer. What uh, on the menu? Um, what would be like the indicators for you to take it off the menu? Ah. Um, hmm. I think for us, there is a core group of burgers that has been around for the longest Correct. time. Yes. Um, Ooh. and we occasionally we review the menu and say, hey, look, this is not doing as well anymore. It's the bottom five or bottom two then we will face it out if there are new products that we, f we feel can uh, fill up the void. Um, so it's based on numbers essentially. Yeah. Uh, but mm. we tend, we, I think we've come to a point where it's, it's a sweet spot. We have um, the fixed set of burgers that people generally love. Uh, we don't change those. Any one of those that we remove, there'll be a mob outside. Uh, so uh, bring back true. my burger. Elvis, I'll yeah. be there too. I'll be one of the <laughs> exactly. mob. Um, so yeah, but we do feature burgers every other month. Yeah. Yeah, we used to do that almost every month, but during COVID, we stopped. Now we are bringing that back again. Uh, so the next burger, I think, uh, for Hari Raya, I think it's a satay burger. Very hey. interesting one. With fried ketupat on the side. Ah, uh, hey, so, fried okay. Yeah, so we look forward to serving you guys that. Okay, okay. So um, in terms of bringing it to the, like, conceptualize, conceptualizing it um, and, and whatnot, fast, one month. A long, a longer time would be about two and a half months that uh, we will require. And it will have to go through like how many people to taste? Because it can't be just you, right? You you may like your stuff and all that, but it used to be just me. Oh really? It used to be oh. me because the idea is that um, the original menu was mostly my creation, mm -hmm. or at least I approved mm. it. Um, so I was quite confident. Then it came to a point where I also felt like I shouldn't be the only one that's making a decision. Mm -hmm. So we get the rest of the team to to come in and. Uh, I think the 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 biggest uh, test that I had to go through was I didn't like the burger, but everyone else liked it. Uh, so ah. that was the first time that I said, you know what? Um, you know, the majority will decide and we put it on the menu and it was a hit. Well, which, which one are uh, you going to say? Uh, I don't remember. I I don't remember because there was a few that I-, I You didn't I, like. It's uh. not I didn't like. I, I, I would say, hey, look, I, I think uh, this is not the one lah. Right, but mm, I'm quite mm. picky. Yeah. So again, letting the team decide um, was was crucial. I can find out which one, but at the moment, it's not it's not at the top of my head. Uh, but I do remember <laughs> it was a very tough decision for me because, to some extent, there was a pride to say that only I can pick the winner. Uh, right. Mm. Uh, but then I realized yeah. I'm not, and it's a great relief because after that, there were several burgers that they, it was launched without me having to test. 
So you guys could make a general yeah. decision and you know it's been proven that you do have the I thought I had the generalized palette, meaning that if I like it, oh, most people okay, will like okay, it. Understand. But it yeah. seems like that's not the case. And uh yeah. Right. So you actually yeah. actually there are actually some burgers on Burger Labs menu where you tried it at the same time as the customers, is it? Yes. Wow, okay. It's wow. a fun fact yeah. for everybody. I have like two yeah. or three more questions, John. Do you wanna do you have any questions? I know, yeah, I know yeah, uh, I, I, yeah. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I, I something a little bit more with the econ uni economics. Uh, so I've always been wondering, and you know, it just popped up to me as well. I look at pricing on the burger. Yes. Right. And and there's quite sometimes there's a very low variety or low, low difference, sorry, delta, but sometimes it's a very big. So I keep on wondering this fact, and it's great that I have you here. How do you determine pricing? It's just mm. because of the meat content or the ingredient, or you know, I'm pretty sure there's some. Sometimes the name is just too price. cool. It has to be a higher <laughs> price. <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, we can share in generalities, uh, yeah. Can. Um, uh. oh, this one is difficult because we oh, we didn't go by convention. Everyone that advised us in the early days said. Mm keep your food cost to 30%. And I'm quite sure this is a very common, uh, you guys have heard of this, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah? right. Keep your food cost to 30%, yeah. meaning that if your uh, ingredients is three ringgit, sell at 10 ringgit, right? Mm, mm. But when we first created our burgers, because of the types of ingredients that we use, it came up to a certain price point where we felt, mm, it's quite high. If I times three, mm. It's mm. too high. Mm. So mm, then we mm, went mm. by dollar margin instead. Mm, mm, so mm. we said, okay, we are happy to earn X dollars per burger instead mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. okay, percentage. Okay. That worked mm. well in the early years when we had massive volume, when we were trending, right? We were viral. Mm, mm. Um, so we didn't think too much of it. But when every day for one store, it was 10K, 12K sales at our peak. And then mm. when it started slowly going down, and that's when we, when we realized, oh my God, we will hit, our break even uh, is very high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was another painful lesson that we had to go through. Mm. Um, but we still stuck by that. Uh, instead mm -hmm. of adding six ringgit last time, then we started mm -hmm. adding 10 ringgit to it. Mm. But again, it's a lesson that we have to pay for during COVID. Right. Mm. As all mm. the, look, we, 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 the cost of operation became so much more. Whether it's mask, whether yeah. it's glove, whether it's sanitizers, all those were extra costs that you know we had to bear, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then we realized, oh my God, it's creeped up again. So right now we no longer use the dollar margin. Uh, we mm -hmm. do use the percentage margin, but right now we keep to about 40% food costs. I see. Which is mm. still not great. But it's still mm -hmm, better than fifty five percent food cost, which I is see. where we were at one point. That, that means you, what you're saying is that if you were, uh, so you you needed, you're saying that at sales of ten to twelve, no problem, but the minute you start dropping to eight or seven, that's when you feel the squeeze, lah. Because yes. of course the cost was the food cost was really a lot higher. Yes, exactly. Do, do the add ons on your menu actually help out with this or not really? Like you a, say the sides and yeah, the, yeah, the sides and all that. So. Uh, again, another model that we realized was wrong uh, was that we shouldn't be fighting against the fast food giants. Uh, yes. We were pricing ourselves, or not pricing, we were structuring our model to be like them. Oh, add a set. Lah. If you buy a fries, right, uh, it's five ringgit. You buy a drink, it's five ringgit. You buy them together, it's eight ringgit. Uh -huh. I think that's the wrong model. I see. Re reason is because um, people 
will whatever they can share or whatever they can break apart, they they will do so. They will know how to play the game. They know how to play the game. And also because our pricing is generally higher, people will try to skimp on it. Because our soda, for example, is bottomless. Correct. Girlfriend, boyfriend, confirm buy one drink only. Mm. Right? (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, we should have been a restaurant concept, meaning that if you go to Nando's, you go to, um, what do you call it? Uh, Any TGIF or Chili's, right? You order your own drink. Right. In fact, there are other soda um, versions that you buy that's more fancy and you pay higher price for it, right? When the cost is much lower. Uh, so we should have been that model. Uh, and we're mm. slowly shifting to that. Uh, I think for the last 10 years, mm. we've always positioned ourselves or modeled ourselves against the fast food joints. The thing is, we're not fast food, right? Mm. Uh, and and we, we put ourselves at a disadvantage. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so in terms of pricing strategy, another thing that we, we, we used to do is when we know we have a good product, but it's difficult to make, we purposely put it at a higher price. Ah. Uh, mm. So one of it was the Juicy Lucy, which was mm-hmm, a bacon mm-hmm. wrap, beef bacon wrap yes, patty. Yes, yep, yep. It's, it's annoying to make that, that product, right? Mm. Uh, it's so much work. You need to take the patty, put the cheese in, pack it up, wrap the bacon, right? And then, you know, cook it. Uh, so much work. The cost, it was the most profitable burger. Uh, and mm-hmm. people ordered it despite it being a high, high, high value, uh, but it was purposely priced higher than usual. It, I think it was a, a good 15 ringgit margin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as compared to the normal 10 ringgit margin at that point, um, because we wanted less people to order it. <laughs> and, and, and are people still and, uh, order I mean, it. people still order it. Maybe if it was cheaper, more people would have ordered it. Who, yeah, knew, yeah. who knew? Um, but in the end, we also stopped it, uh, that product, mm-hmm. because it, it just turned out to be too difficult to make over a long period of time. But yeah, the pricing, we're still learning. Mm-hmm. And with mm-hmm. changes of, uh, you know, food costs moving up and down, and even the model of the business, whether it is, uh, right now, new F&B businesses have to consider the, the margins uh, on uh, delivery platforms That's as, right. as, mm-hmm. as a factor to, to so we, we we know that 30% doesn't make sense anymore so we need to readjust so honestly I don't have an answer it's still a, a point of discovery right now no yeah. I, I, I again compliments and kudos to you because yeah. you know you're a 10 year business and here you are adapting uh, being agile being you know cognizant that you shouldn't just try what has worked before because you know that uh, in today's VUCA world, right? You, you just, you just, I mean, can you imagine? I, I can't imagine, you know, MJ, if you run viral where our suppliers are giving us different prices every week. Yeah, I said, our software, just... Google starts ramping up the software cost for no reason yeah. really, really, right? Yeah, I don't think, yeah. yeah, I don't think we have this office, quite frankly, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's where, um, you know, the three of you at the top and I wanted so I know we talked a little bit about how in the early days you guys were operating. Uh, and then we alluded a little bit into the tasting and all that. But what is it I actually like working with two other partners? Because, you know, you always hear horror stories of partnership breakdowns. Uh, you know, John and I, we are partners. So we also discuss about this, uh, how to, to resolve conflict, how to account for people's peculiarity and like, almost like a marriage couple, you know, you kind of accept the flaws and the good and the bad. What's it like for Burger Lab actually? Let me share with you yeah. the horror story now. Okay, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, no, please. Um, okay, so I think our work relationship um, from the start, it was, it was great. Mm. We all complemented each other. And I, I always tell people, we get as the brain, Chiang is the hand and the leg, and then I'm the heart. Right? Nice. Uh, so it comes together very nicely in, in the form of the business. But, I've also learned over the years that not all business partners, main partners, priorities change, mm-hmm. characters, attitude change as well. 
And, uh, you know, of course, uh, as business, uh, as, as, as business people, we also learn and grow at different scale. That's true. Right? Uh, and I think where that, when the difference is too much and that's when there will be breakdowns, right? I might be saying mm. something that you might not understand and so mm. forth. Uh, so that happened five years ago, five, six years ago, mm-hmm. when WeGet was way too ahead of us. So this is the brain? Mm. Yes, the, the brain. brain. Okay. The brain was way ahead of us. Uh, and honestly, at that time, I thought like, oh yeah, you see, we're doing so good, this and that. I know what I'm doing, this. Uh, but looking back, I was, I was an asshole and I, was, I didn't know what I was doing. La. I wasn't an asshole to the team, right? Uh, or, he, or, or the partners, but I definitely uh, thought I knew more than I did. Um, so, mm. um, and I enjoyed clashing with WeGet. I enjoyed the process. Mm. I didn't think that he didn't enjoy it. Uh, so the heart ooh. and the brain always want different things. Correct, correct, correct. Right? Yes, correct. yes, yes. So for yes. me, oh, let's do all this thing. Let's spend money on right, the team. Let's right, spend money on right. the customers. And it's like, hey, dude, you're losing money here. Uh, I said, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, look at the bank. But he said, no. Like he, he understood numbers differently than I did. His background mm. is finance. Um, I see. And it's finance. So for me as an engineer, I see numbers differently. I see numbers very, at least for me as an engineer, uh, I see it as uh, very absolute. Right, mm. he see it differently in in in. I, I don't even know how to explain, but we just see things, you know, from different perspective. And he got tired of the arguments, uh, and it wasn't like heated argument. It's a, it's just a, it's I want to do this. Yeah, it's like a everyday bit by bit kind of thing. Yeah, right? I want to do this. He said no, and I'm like no lah. We meet in the middle lah. This and that lah. And uh, I and I used to believe in to build a great culture. We need to be like Google and have like. Uh, uh, bean bags around and this and that and we were like every Monday we would take off and we would go out and have fun right mm, mm. and we were acting as if we were not a business to some extent I see and I said I want to run a business that doesn't act like a business otherwise why you run a business for yeah. again that was very naive of me and it's like no look you need to start working on opening for Mondays for example and we negotiated and then we opened for Monday uh, we opened for Mondays as if for once a month, right? The first Monday of the month, we will, we will spend money for the team to go out. And I asked for more budget to go out and have fun. So these were things that slowly, I think it ground, grinded him more than I thought, right? Of course he, had mm. a, he was going through other things as well. So in the end, he one day just sent a letter to me and Charming and said, uh, you know, I'm taking a break from the business uh, and you know, he's handed off whatever he needs to do. And he, he, did, he did it very well. He, he hired the right people, he trained them um, and set the timeline on when his exit will be. Uh, but he said he still maintained a shareholder. Mm-hmm. So that was five, six years ago. And then I took on the helm uh, of his position. And that's when I realized, damn, this is difficult. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I had to have internal fights with myself. The brain and the heart is like, oh, let's give the team more. No, you don't, you can't afford it. <laughs> so I was having all this uh, Jekyll and Hyde moment yeah. uh, in my head. Um, and I think I learned to appreciate what he did for us uh, a lot more lah, uh, in that period. Uh, then come uh, recently, um, I had a fallout with uh, my second partner, uh, Changming. This is the, mm. the hands and the legs. Right. The hands and the, the guy who you need things done, he gets things done. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're stuck in the middle of the road, your, t- your tire puncture, you call him, he's there for you. Great friend. Right? But at work, mm. for me, uh, we broke down because um, he, he was a very silent person. Mm. And I made a lot of the calls for the business. But I didn't know that he wanted more say. Or he at least wanted me to, to ask him, hey, you know, I'm going to do this. Are you okay with this? Uh, I took mm-mm. that for granted. I thought it was, mm. okay, you want to take a back seat? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do everything. Lo. Right? And mm. I thought I was doing him a favor. Mm. So then uh, I think during COVID, um, 
he was also very stressed out. He was a bit burned out. I caught out on certain things that he didn't do. Um, and unfortunately, he wasn't happy about it. And uh, he said, okay, I, you know what? This is the end of my journey here. I want to sell the business. Uh, so we are still going through that process. We are looking for buyers. Uh, so in case anyone mm. is interested, you know, yeah. uh, there's 42% sales, uh, 42% of shares for sale over there. Um, mm. But when he said that, I felt betrayed. I felt like, all I ask is, since you're already not making decision, why don't you just take a back seat, lah, right? And then I'll let me run the business, or and I don't have to, I I don't have to keep running through everyone my decision, especially during COVID when things were just you know happening left, right, and center. Mm -hmm. Um, again, hindsight, I I I'm a very emotional person, right? And uh, I I think I made um, I made a few calls that I don't think respected his his boundaries. Uh, this mm -hmm. again, upon hindsight, right? Um, and I think he felt like I was trying to push him away uh, from right. the business. But I said that was not my intention. I said, you know what? I want out. So, okay. Uh, then we proceeded with that. Lah. So the rest of the story, I'll, I'll just save it. Of course, uh, of it course, does get course. a little bit sensitive. But you know what? For me, um, I'm okay with how things are panning out right now. It's, I mean, his, the priorities he have in his life, even we get as well, have changed. Right. And for me, uh, I have changed in, in what I seek out in life as well. And I think that's mm -hmm. where the differences come in. Mm. Um, and I think, I guess the advice if, or the sharing that I put out is, you know, make sure that there is a strong, um, I can't think of the word again, uh, like a business contract. Uh, what do you call it? Agreement. Uh, partnership, partnership, agreement. partnership agreement. Right. From, the, from day one and talk about the hard stuff before the hard stuff gets here. Because right mm -hmm. now, some of the problems I'm facing with the exit is that we didn't talk about how we want to exit. Mm. And that becomes mm. very tricky. Yeah. Um, Understood. Understood. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I think, thank you, you for, for sharing, authenticity. Man, yeah, for the sharing. Yeah. Because you see, <coughs> sorry, entrepreneurship is not for everyone. And even within entrepreneurship itself, I think you put it so aptly that, you know, um, people's priority change, people's things change, uh, people's mindset change. And, you know, sometimes what we find is that people from the outside third parties like to make judgmental opinions without actually understanding it. And I think <coughs> somewhat this highlights the, the, the difficulties because it's, it could be just a miscommunication, misalignment. Or bad uh, types, it also could you know, be could anything. Yeah, and it, it could be just someone uh, outgrowing each other. That's it. And it's not wrong. I, I think that's where... Why I'm putting this out is because um, a lot of times people see business disagreements as a bad thing. There's a fallout. People like the drama, <laughs> but it, right, right, I mean, I don't know whether you agree with me or not. Yeah, right? yeah, people, people just do. like the drama for gossip, <laughs> but people, do they really care? Are they really paying you for, you know, running this business and all that? And I think, you know, kudos to you uh, sharing this story because I hope this could be a lesson to budding entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs actually struggling because these are some of the challenges that entrepreneurship is actually very lonely. Sometimes it's very lonely. You're right. You Even when you have three yeah. partners, um, yeah. it was a lonely journey for me because they were my friends. They were my very, very best friends. And mm. um, I, I felt a little bit um, up, upset or, or sad that I was slowly losing them and I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Right? We, mm. Because we see each other every day at work and we didn't, after that, why do I still want to hang out with you after? Although some partnerships are great at that and I think that works out for everyone. So much so that I started forming outside friendship that allowed me to vent about my problems at work. 
right? Mm, with with mm. other entrepreneurs. Uh, I mean, mm, uh, mm. if you see this uh, little ad for EO Malaysia, uh -huh. <laughs> so mm, that was one of the group that I I joined uh, entrepreneurs organization, uh, and you know we were able to talk about our our business challenges and and problems and whatnot, uh, and you know. My, my, my friend did ask me, hey, why don't you talk about your problems with your partners? But it's difficult. Yeah, there yeah, are certain true. things that- It's difficult. It's very difficult. What if they were the problem? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, I think when you talk it out with uh, your partners or whatever, it's always from their perspective. And there's a, there's definitely sometimes a miscommunication uh, breakdown because like right, I, I, I just probably put it out there. Like, like for me and MJ, He's 27. I'm 42 with kids and everything. What I see in life and what he sees in life yeah. is different. It's not to say it's exactly. wrong or right. It's, yeah. it's just different. Yeah. Because the responsibility of me being a father, uh, having two kids, you know, a wife too, so, and I'm a single breadwinner versus him, and I'm not saying yeah. this is, you know, yeah, a yeah, condescending yeah. matter of fact. Him. It's, matter of it's a matter of fact. It's like the burden of him to, to put food on the table is less compared to me. Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. saying it's, it's yeah. No, no, yeah. That's, that's, that is the truth. Yeah. yeah, and soon enough, he'll yeah. find a wife uh, yeah. and then yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. we'll have a family and that will shift as well. Exactly. And now exactly. that you already know exactly. what those potential shifts will be, I hope you guys had the chat, right? Yeah. To say, hey, yeah. look, in that current time, we hope the business to be at this point, right? And if yeah. it's not, what happens then, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. And and uh, the, the, that's the biggest, we, we left our previous employment also because, you know, uh, it was yeah, a shared misery. Yeah, shared misery. Yeah, shared, shared misery <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the beauty of that, it, it taught us that, you know, we actually structured, I even, we even brought in scenarios that I was asking MJ, uh, please don't marry someone that's, okay, yeah, I'll stop there, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and we put it into, into a partnership agreement because these are scenarios that has happened to us in real life. We see it firsthand. Yep. And uh, I, I actually, we started this channel as some sort of a pet project because these are what people don't see in everyday entrepreneurs. They only see the pinnacle of success or the, the louse of failure. But anyway, in between, it's you know usually undocumented. Uh, uh, it's not truthfully told. I think that's that's the, the way I put it, not truthfully told. And that told in a way that is not judgmental or not biased. You know? and, and, and I thank you for you know triggering that in, yeah. in this, uh, MJ. Back to you, MJ. Yeah, uh, look, I, I, I know you gotta <sighs> go. And, uh, and you know, your time is precious and thank you so much for your time. Just one last question. Yes. If today someone wanted to start a burger restaurant, mm. apart from uh, don't start because you might be my competitor, okay? <laughs> what, what advice will you give? Um, wow. <laughs> Take your time. I would say come work for me. Ah, I would happily show you what I'm going through, make less mistakes than I I have to go through, uh, and make better mistakes, you know, than than uh, what we we have done. Um, I think everyone's journey is going to be different. Uh, but since the question is so specific to say that, uh, if it's going to be a burger yeah, restaurant, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, go work with someone who who runs a burger joint. Uh, in fact, be truthful about. It, honestly, if someone comes and tell me, hey, look, I want to open a burger joint, I'll, I'll, I'll say, hey, come join us. In fact, I'll convince you that why don't you just come and work with us and one day be a partner, right? Huh. Mm. Uh, it's not about the competition part yeah, yeah, yeah. because if you already want to go down that route, then you might be the right partner for me yeah. to, to scale this up together, right? Uh, but if you want to go in there strong and say, look, burger lab, well, you guys 
are doing okay, but it's not my style. I want to do different. Okay, fine. But still mm. come and work for us because at least know what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. Uh, and my role in the industry has always been to empower other people. Uh, has there been a situation where people came in to work with us and quietly go and open burger joints? Yes, back in really? the days that mm. happened, right? Um, and I'm, I'm, I was peeved about it because they weren't truthful. Right? Even when we went to visit their restaurants, right, their burger restaurants, they're like, oh yeah, I'm just here as a manager. But then in the newspaper, he's the, he's the boss. <laughs> Wow, right. So I wasn't wow. truthful about that. Wow. Uh, in fact, Mm-mm-mm. for people that told us that, oh, we're going to open a restaurant or we're going to what? I would happily share everything that I have because I'm mm. not afraid of you being a competition. Mm-hmm. You're going to do you, mm-hmm. I'm going to do me, right? Mm. And if you are there to challenge me, it only gives me more opportunity to be better. That's how I see mm. it, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And in fact, we share rappers, our recipes openly. Yeah, and that's true. Mm. That's right? true. There's nothing to hide because what I found, what I have, I found online anyway. It's not like you're not going to find yeah. it sooner or later. So to yeah, me, yeah. it takes more than just a few recipes and whatnot. It's really the inner workings Oof. of the daily that makes the difference. And of course, yeah. the culture. I realize a lot of people come and talk to me and say, hey, Rini, can you share about how you build your uh, you know, brand, your culture, your, you know, all these values and whatnot. And after I've shared with them and I check in on them a couple of months later, no one does you know, what I've advised to do or what I've suggested to do because it is a lot of work. Oh yeah. And not just that, it is a lot of work, it's also not within them. It's not, they are not aligned to my belief, right? They like the idea of having great culture and great values. Yes, yes. But they are, they don't know how to do it or they are like, I don't know, I don't want to do the work to get there. I would it's like my choice, organization really. to have it. It's a choice, but the choice, uh, the, uh, uh, it's it's a lot of work. And sometimes they know, they know it, but that choice is a, not a decision they're willing to make. Everyone knows what they need to do to be fit. Lah, basically, <laughs> right? yeah. 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 Yes, I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, I sorry, that triggered another one question, okay. one last question. And John, if you have one last you can ask as well. Uh, is, yeah. Uh, is there a competitor that you admire actually? Is there one competitor where you're like, yeah, you know, they make good burgers and doesn't have to be seen as a competitor, maybe just a, a peer or whatever. Competitor that I admire. Unfortunately, within the Malaysian landscape, uh, direct competitors in burgers, right? Yeah. I, I, I don't have. Nice. Um, no, no, not because I'm arrogant or I feel like they're not up to par. Uh, there are burgers that I enjoy. There yeah. are. Uh, but as a whole, as a business, as a structure, I don't think anyone is doing what we're doing, which is, look, we are not a burger restaurant first. Uh. Yeah, yeah, correct. correct, correct. Uh, we, we see ourselves as a learning platform for young adults first, although we don't advertise right, this. Right, right, right. And that to me is more important than anything mm-hmm. else, right? Uh, so if I have to compare, unless anyone is doing what we're doing, which is empowering young, young people to, to be better versions of themselves, then um, I don't think anyone is close to what we're doing. Uh. I think that is very accurate. John, any more questions? Wait, uh, I think I'll ask this off, off the off, off the camera because it's something to do with the omakase. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought you were going to ask which is your favorite brunch. No, I just came. Nah, um, yeah, yeah, there's two favoritism. Yeah. Yeah, so Arani, thank you so much for no, being pleasure on the to be podcast. here. Thanks for having uh, me. You know, you were saying you're hoping that uh, you're the first restaurant here. You're hoping that you set the bar very low. I can assure you that the opposite has happened. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that high. It's that thank high. You, yeah, thank you, thank you, guys. Right and, uh, yeah. and you know, guys, you, those of you listening, uh, guaranteed you got a lot of, uh, you know, uh, value out of this. 
And you know, if you want to work for Burger Lab, right, we will put the links in the description, <laughs> yeah. right? It's myburgerlab.com slash join us. Do we get like a HR cut like for their salary? Yeah, fact, sure, so. sure. <laughs> if they work for three months, they don't bill on us. Sure, I'll give you 500 nice, ringgit. Nice. Hey, no problem, no problem. <laughs> nice. uh, yeah, guys, you know, you like this sort of content, you know, do share it uh, with your friends. Please visit Burger Lab, you know. Uh, it is uh, to me like, It's a it's a it's a Malaysia UNESCO heritage site. You know, it's <laughs> it's going to be that rather Thanks. right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, guys. Uh, see you in the next pod. You know, like, comment, subscribe, the usual stuff. Watch some of our other pods, and see you in the next one.